A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the MC Universe. We are the Lorehounds, your guides to the multiverse and beyond. I'm David. I'm Jean. And I'm Alicia. And we're your guides to the Watcher's many worlds. Today, we're not only going to talk you through season two of Marvel's What If, but we're also going to talk about what you need to know to prep for the next Marvel show, Echo, dropping all five episodes on Disney Plus this week. John and I will be doing this storytime style again, walking David and all of you through season two of What If, one episode at a time, everything that happened and how it all came together. And then I'll fill you in on everything you need to remember for Echo, which we'd also love to hear your thoughts about. Email your feedback to mcu at thelawhounds.com or head over to our website at thelawhounds.com and use the contact form or record us a voicemail. For ad-free versions of this and all of our podcasts, check us out at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. For as little as three bucks a month and you can support us and you can even get a whole year subscription uh, for very affordable prices. So uh, I'll share more about that as well as programming notes for our upcoming schedule at the end of the podcast. Also, we'd be forever grateful if you could help us get more ears tuned into the Lorehounds MC universe. All you need to do is drop us a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening. Apple Podcasts is especially helpful. And even if it's a few quick words, we read them all and the reviews mean a lot to us. And before we get started, just a quick spoiler warning. We'll of course be spoiling all What If episodes to date, but spoilers for the rest of the MCU and the Marvel Comics are also on the table. Jean, Alicia, Happy New Year. Good to see you guys. I've got a flurkin in my lap. I've got <laughs> snow falling outside. Wow. So not a bad day to uh, jump on the mic with you guys. How are you both doing? Alicia, how was your holidays? Um, yeah, holidays are good. Uh, recovering from a little sickness. So sorry if I sound a little stuffy, uh, but um, <laughs> it was nice spending time with, with my family. Um, although I did uh, lose, have an incident with my ears on the way back, lost my hearing. It's uh, slowed down my uh, ability to edit audio. So apologies to everyone for uh, the, some delays on the wool shift dust side. <laughs> no apologies. No apologies. <laughs> <laughs> That's rough. I mean, given that we're in the <laughs> in the process in the business of uh, right. producing audio it's kind of kind of rough when you when you're not yeah. able to hear but i'm i'm back at like 70% hearing so i'm 
watching movies again, recording with you guys again. All this nice. <laughs> Jean, how how are, you, how are you guys? How was your holidays? Yeah, happy New Year to everyone. Um, doing good. It's January. Um, and I'm looking forward to April. <laughs> what's, what's in April? Getting past Spring. the snow, and the, getting past the, getting past the snow and winter storms and all of that stuff. I keep we we keep trying to get you and your family up to visit uh, us here in Vermont, and uh, I don't think we're going to get you up before no, April. No, it, it, it might happen this 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 summer. So, okay, yeah. yeah, in the summer. Yeah, in the summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Too funny. Awesome. Okay. Well, we've got some Marvel news that we wanted to catch up on, and then we're going to get into our what if uh, recaps. And then excitedly, um, we're going to talk about Echo. So that's pretty exciting stuff. Alicia, did you, Alicia and Jean, both you guys got some uh, news items you wanted to, to walk through? We've got some developments since we last recorded. Yeah, well, yeah, right right after we recorded, um, it came like right after. That, yeah, that <laughs> Jonathan Majors is officially fired. But we might have a new Kang. What do you think, Jean, oh, really? Coleman Domingo as a potential new Kang coming in? I like uh, him. I, I think he's a great him. actor. He's a great yeah. actor. Um, I think he would be uh, a great Kang. I'm, if they go that direction, I, I cannot be upset about it. I think he's really he's really good. The stuff that he, he did on Fear the Walking Dead... Um, he's in Rustin that's playing right now. Yeah. Um, I was just watching that. Rustin's from my hometown. Sorry. But anyway. Oh, wow. That's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. So yeah, he, I like, I like Coleman Domingo a lot as an actor and I think he would do great in the role. He has the gravitas needed. He has the, the heaviness that's, that's needed for, to play that type of villain. And, and also, you know, he has the nuances, I think that yeah. could be, um, really, well, really yeah. well done. Because it's especially interesting to see him as Rustin, because Rustin it famously had a, a high pitched voice, and yeah. so you see Coleman Domingo's doing this voice, and he's really pulling it off. Like if you hadn't seen him anywhere else, you would think this was his voice and his mannerisms. And this performance, above anything else I've seen him in so far, really convinces me that he can play a dozen different Kangs. Definitely, I, definitely. I haven't seen him in, beyond, in anything beyond. Fear the Walking Dead, and I really enjoyed him there. I think he would bring a really different energy for Kang. I mean, um, uh, what's his name had uh, kind of a crazy energy mm. uh, and a sort of a, a mad borderline um, madness right. that he was bringing. Where I, I just, like I said, I don't know Coleman Domingo from Beyond Fear the Walking Dead, but in that, his gravity was so palpable on screen. And so it could, you know, I don't know what he's going to bring to the role if, you know, assuming he takes it, but, but uh, it'll be yeah. fun to see him to play with the role and see where he can take it, where we haven't seen it before. Yeah. Since he's older, you know, he could be, he's yeah, like a point. Kang from the future who's lived through some things. That'd be right, interesting. Right. Yeah. And that would be really, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I, okay. I think he's, I really think he's a good actor. So, we could have our own little uh, what if uh, episode here. <laughs> what if yeah, we cast what this if? person? Or, yeah, yeah that, that would be great. What if we cast Omar C? No, sorry, I'm done. <laughs> and he's also in the color purple. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's I out right now. That, but yeah. yeah. I, I keep waiting for, for Jean to drop recast T'Challa. <laughs> Don't worry about it. it, it it's going to happen. It's coming. Well, they it's are going to have to recast Sentry, though, because due to all the delays, Steven Yun has dropped out. Yep. So it's I like, mean... I, I know he yeah. wanted to play that, that role he for did. a long time, but like, okay, we... 
I we didn't get even get to see him in it, so uh, fine. Who's next? <laughs> right, that's exactly how I feel about it. I, I thought he would have been a great um, addition uh, to play the role of Bob, <laughs> but um, yeah, this, he he didn't play the role, so it's okay. Let's let's go on and and move on to the next. Yeah. Do you think that this, um, all of this stuff? Do you do you? How confident are you guys both feeling? about Marvel finding its footing post-2023, sort of the year that, that Marvel seemed to crash and burn? Not really, but sort of, right? Like the plane is on fire a little bit. I mean, I have mm. one major one major complaint. Everybody who's listening knows what that is. And uh, a couple movies that kind of whiffed a little bit for me, namely, you know, the last Ant-Man and Thor movies. Um, and other than that, like for me, it's still been as good as ever. Like I think what if, which we're about to talk about was a uh, miles above season one of what if. So I think they're in a good place. I, I think that it's popular to talk about Marvel and overall superhero fatigue, but mm -hmm. I'm personally not feeling it. What about you, John? I'm not feeling the fatigue. Um, the thing that I'm worried about is that in, their response is the fatigue conversation about having less is more. I don't necessarily agree with that um, mode of thinking. Um, less could be more depending on what the less is. Um, I think going into 24, there is a dearth of programming, movies, TV shows that, <clears throat> excuse me, that can really move um, people to the screen because some of the characters that we want to see, um, we're waiting to see them. I think going forward, you have to give the people what they want. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I firmly... I mean, there has to be a balance though because sometimes they've... Cause, like, look at the Star Wars sequel trilogy. When they gave the people what they want, they broke the trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> they did. Yeah, but this is not that. Yeah, I, I, they have to is, be careful. It doesn't become that. I'm saying. I know. Yeah, I agree with you. But that's why. That's why I say that the dearth of the programming could be an mm -hmm. issue because we're getting what five, six things this year. Three or four of them, three or four of them are animated. Um, two movies that are not MCU movies proper, right? Yeah, three. Yeah, we've got three, three. Sony movies and one MCU movie. Yeah, Right. Um, so I, I'm interested to see how people react to the films because a lot of the characters in the film outside of Deadpool, I don't think... Um, and even Deadpool has a very uh, strong vocal fan base, but not necessarily, I don't think, across MCU titles. Um, it, so, I also don't see Deadpool as an MCU, uh, you know, in an Avengers adjacent right, right. thing. I mean, and again, right, I'm the... I'm the MCU fan that's on the periphery, right? I'm I'm the right. light, well, lightweight fan representing that part of the audience. And for me, I've never no, seen. No, but Deadpool. you're correct. You're mm -hmm. correct because he was never MCU until now because he, right. was, oh. he was Fox. Yeah, right. It was Fox. Okay, it was Fox. Yeah. Okay. So, so this all, is going to be 
Deadpool 3 is going to be like, uh, it's called, people are calling it Deadpool Kills the Fox Universe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but we have Madam Web and Ven. Oh, wait. That's, wait, yeah, there's we a have- Sony. God Almighty! Okay, yeah. right. Tony's <laughs> the only right. one that held on to Got held on it. to their side of the Marvel pie. Yeah, right. And that was ha- that and has the rest to do with was sometimes absorbed. Yeah, by right. That has it. to do with like deals. Like you had a license mm-hmm. deal, and if you didn't produce a certain amount of things, well, the same in the Lord of the Rings. Disney world. bought Fox. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. So then yeah. they absorbed it that way. So yeah. So I, I, I'm just I'm just a little bit worried that what we're actually going to get is not going to be sufficient. That's, that's my, so that's I'm, my but whole Maybe thing. it gives people a breather. I, I'm looking at uh, a show mm-hmm. tracker. So <clears throat> that's yeah. a, one of our, our Patreon benefits is I have this custom built show tracker that looks at all the shows across the year and we can look at them by time and I can sort by, you know, genre and platform. So I can look up quite easily all the MCU stuff. And I'm showing Echo, Madam Web, yeah. Deadpool 3, Venom 3, Ironheart, X-Men 97, Agatha, and Marvel Zombies. So X-Men 97, Marvel Zombies. And all Zombies. of those are up in the air mostly. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. what Agatha, I was just going to say. Agatha, yeah. they're certainly going to do in like in the, sept- right. yeah, in the fall of next in the year. Fall. Halloween, you know. Right, yeah. right. And Marvel Zombies is animated. X-Men yeah. 97 is animated. Yes. Ironheart, we don't know. And we've we got Eyes of Wakanda. Coming. We've got the Spider-Man cartoon, uh, the new. Yeah. Oh, do I know? I don't. Is, is Eyes of Wakanda is not this year though? It's supposed. It's supposed to be this allegedly. year. Allegedly, allegedly, but the, we don't that know about tight. any of this. Yeah. All right, so I have to add that to the list. All right. Yeah, you guys and gotta, we don't know, let me know. We don't know about Ironheart, for instance. Uh, if right. that's really gonna. There's been and a, I was there's a lot of reshuffling. About, so really, it's just Echo. Is, yeah. the, is the big uh, show title and a lot of and people And then are, Agatha at the end of the year, yeah. Right. And that's even thinner on, I don't want to say, uh, how do I want to say this? I think people less, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe there isn't. I think Agatha is hugely hyped. That's that one. Really? Bigger than Echo? Way more. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Although I'm I'm super excited for Echo, and I think people are going to get excited for Echo, especially yeah. seeing how it's you know very like Netflix reborn. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, um, and then I did have a question because I know we're going to talk about uh, Echo at the end of the podcast after the break, and we're going to get into it. We're going to do our um, sort of context, what you need to know to to watch it. Um, but what's up with Madam Web? That's a Sony, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And that's the next movie that's coming out. That's coming yeah. in February. Yeah, February. That's February. part of the Spider-Verse, but not the animated kind. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then Venom 3, which is in uh, November, all the way out in November. Right. And allegedly. Craven the Hunter, allegedly. Oh, I forgot about Craven. Yeah. Allegedly. I have Craven on my list, but I just don't have it tagged as a as a. Yeah. So I don't think thing. we have it because it was moved. It was supposed to be this fall. Now, shrug. Was right. it? Oh, was it? Uh, they um, yeah, they moved, moved it, it again. They moved it. It was supposed to be fall twenty three. Right, right. They, I remember that they kicked it out, and now mm-hmm. sometime in twenty four, supposedly. Okay. Oh boy. Uh, let's see. I got to make some notes here. I got to write down <laughs> Craven and uh, trying to keep my tracker list uh, updated. Uh, I would um, feel the thing is, I, I would feel more confident if there were some tent pole characters coming to screen there are no temple characters coming to screen no right well i don't think you mean line 
but yeah, I, except that Deadpool three is like people are calling it maybe the biggest right. movie up with Dune two, the biggest movie of the year overall because it's going to bring back all of these Fox characters, including all of the iconic X Men characters, and maybe introduce some of them to the main MCU. I hope you're right. I hope I that's mean, what you I've do. seen. I've seen the set photos. We know. No, I, I've seen the, Yeah, I, I've seen the set <laughs> photos too. But those set photos, you know. A lot of times, the well, movie is just, not like, what we, yeah. not what we expected it to be, right? Yeah. And I'm fearful because I've I watched the the two Deadpool movies. Um, you know, you guys already know I'm not a big fan mm-hmm. of, of of the Ryan Reynolds Deadpool. Um, they did what they had to do. I think they were they were cool movies. I don't think they were great movies, especially in how they, the second one and how they handled, you know, the characters that they did bring in. Um, So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm skeptical. I am very skeptical about this three being an end, a proper end to, you know, the Fox MCU Marvel um, foray, calling it, you know, Deadpool kills the Fox Marvel universe. That's a high expectation. I hope it's true. I want it to be true in a way that, you know, things have not been true before. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, it also could be like, you know, where we, we had Spider-Man No Way Home. And then so we're bringing back the old um, Spider-Men's, Spider-Men from the previous incarnations, but doesn't kill them off. It kind of just right. opens the door more for which I for was the happy with. So. No, I was, I was happy with that. Definitely. I didn't, they didn't need to go. They, so they, I they have no reason else. to... I have no reason to be too skeptical about Deadpool at this point, especially considering we know they're investing since it's the only movie on the proper MCU calendar, you know, the Sony stuff aside, which is insane thing. um, It's going to get all the attention. Okay. Okay. What are we going to do for coverage for Madam Web? Are we going to talk about that? Is that fall outside of the yeah. MCU podcast remit or is that inside? Is that in the inner periphery of our, our boundaries? I think we could do a quick one shot. Yeah. Okay. Madam Web. Definitely. I would like to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I it's part it's, of the, the Spider-Verse. We've been talking about yeah. the Spider-Verse. Okay. Cool. And then we'll, we're definitely doing Echo uh, and Agatha is definitely on, on our schedule. Yes. Yeah. That better I, be I don't know if you guys releases. Can, what's that? That better be weekly yes. releases. <laughs> yeah, it would oh. be nice. It would be nice. And um, I think for uh, Craven, you guys are going to have to work on me a little bit. I don't know if you're going to give me a Craven. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably see Deadpool just because I would probably see Deadpool just because it is a monocultural style right. event. Yeah, that right one is MCU. Right. Officially. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. But I meant just in terms of uh, mm-hmm. like if I if if I weren't doing this, would I go see Deadpool? Uh, probably. Maybe. Probably. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. You know, it's 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 inter- it's in high entertainment value, right? It's supposed to be mm-hmm. a high entertainment value character. You know, zany action on on scene and on screen right. and all that. Okay, cool. All right. Well, uh anything else that we should talk about, or should we start getting into our what if hot takes are spoilers? Yeah, definitely. The, the last thing I want to say is Feige recast T'Challa. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you, you heard, you heard it's, heard the it's fandom. time to do it. It's okay to do it. Recast T'Challa. When I have, you know, a list actors saying 
Yes, I always envisioned that my character will be played by other actors to give them a chance. So, yes, Feige. I'm talking <laughs> to you directly. <laughs> Recast T'Challa. There is no reason that we should have to suffer without T'Challa in the MCU. It's high time. This is 2024. It's a new year, new attitude. Feige, do the right thing because we have a whole bunch of characters who have been recast. Margot Robbie just came out and said, hey, it would be really cool if someone else played Harley. Well, Lady Gaga's going to do it. Lady Gaga's playing Harley in an Elseworlds tale, right? But still, the actress who most people, the actor who most people have pinned as Harley, just said, it's okay. I actually want other people to play the character. Yeah. And um, Zoe Zeldana said it also about Gamora. Why are we stuck not having T'Challa in the MCU? This is really a sticking point for me. Um, I will beat the drum as loudly as I possibly can. It is unfair to the multitude of black actors in Hollywood who would be bringing all sorts of gravitas to this character and also giving people a shot to shine. This is ridiculous. There is no reason that T'Challa should not be recast. Do you have a fan cast, the, a favorite fan casting? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. You, you, like, I don't I, care. <laughs> I, no, uh, yeah, I just want the guy okay. in the suit. And mm-hmm. even if he's not in the suit, it's okay. You know why it's okay? Yeah. Because in the comics, there was a run where he was not in the suit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's okay. And we love the run where his sister was the Black Panther, and he had other adventures because he's T'Challa. I mean, if you want to get all multiversal about it, it's possible. It's fine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he has the to reality, come from another universe. Yeah. And primary world reality. Our reality is here is that stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't... How many Batmans have there been? Dear Lord. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> you know? Yes. Come on. It's it's not that hard. So, Superman. Anyway, was, yeah. Batman, I think it probably must have the number one, uh, uh, number one in terms of the the number of actors who've played that role, right? That's I, I, like- I've had to suffer through three Spider Men, three <laughs> Peter Parkers, <laughs> yeah, yeah. three Peter Parkers. That's right. In so. twenty years, three Peter Parkers. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you're telling me I can't get a second T'Challa? T'Challa? I, Come I think on. there's I think there's one coming. I think, but maybe the calls for recasting will move it up from earlier than Secret Wars. With Jonathan Major's uh, situation too, I mean, that should be a clear signal as well. So anyway, maybe we should get on. (laughs) (laughs) It's done. Trump is beaten. Uh, So let's get on with our season two spoiler-free hot takes. I watched, I was able to get through six of nine of these. So I think pretty good. Uh, I have definite favorite favorites. I didn't realize until afterwards 
that some of these are specific homages to other science fiction titles or mm-hmm. just movie mm-hmm. titles in general. When I was watching uh, episode one, what if Nebula joined the Nova Corps? At some point, I was like, wait, this is Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, later on, apparently, like that's the case. It's actually Blade yeah. Runner. Or Blade Runner uh, uh, tonality, right? Tone mm-hmm. themed. Right. Yeah, and they took I, some specific shots even. and yeah. It totally took some specific shots. So that one I enjoyed. I enjoyed uh, Kahori. Mm-hmm. And those are the two that I would say that I, I really had a good time with. The other ones, it was really just the switch out the one character. It had the tone for me. Yeah. Switch out the one character, so, keep the plot uh, as is. And I think... For me, the Nebula, and that's episode one and episode uh, six, Kahori, I found that um, those seem to be the most, to me, the most um, in a, unique you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, things, not, not just a uh, change X character and, and see what happens. The two I didn't watch were eight and nine. I, I haven't got around to it because we just got access to a bunch of screener material for shows that were coming up. And so I'm trying to get ahead so John and I can get ahead when we start covering things like True Detective and, and a couple of other shows. Um, so that sort of got in my way of, of completing the series. But you I, I really seven. enjoyed um, uh, episode six, even though I had some head-scratching moments. Have you seen seven? You haven't seen seven. Uh, I did. I watched. That was Hella Found the Ten mm-hmm. Rings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that was interesting. It didn't, didn't grab me uh, as much. That was, that was your favorite of, genre, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was good? I, I, I think so. Yeah. I no, think I think so. it's a good one. It was a lot of people's favorite. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think. I, I'm torn. I, I'm torn. Um, the Nebula episode, I, I really thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, it was really well done. It was super interesting. I, I love the visuals about it. I love the story as well. You know, like this. Yeah, I, 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 I really enjoyed that. Um, Kahore's episode, man. That that was there was something that took me out of it, but didn't take me out of it. Something that made me angry. We're gonna we're gonna get into that. that. It it made me angry. You know, not not Bruce Banner angry, (laughs) but it made me angry. Um, but overall, it was one of my favorite episodes of the two seasons that they that they've done. Yeah. Um. The Hella episode was also just I I I really love how they portrayed that story. Mm-hmm. Um and it opens up there there's a specific moment that really calls back to something in a comic book that's not even Hella that made it um really cool for me. And we'll talk about it when once we get to that episode. Um but yeah, I, I overall I thought this I thought I enjoyed this season more than I enjoyed the season one. Is yeah. it just me? I mean, I know, sorry, Alicia, I know we're going to get into your hot take, but I just had a quick question. Is it just me or is the animation, the style of the animation, it, it had me like, hmm, is this, do I like this animation? I don't know animation well enough to be really a, a connoisseur of so it. So they're using, they're using a game engine um, to okay. do it, which I, you know, it's, it's a, it really has mixed reviews, the art style animation itself. I fall on the side of really liking it, but you're definitely not the only person who's like, I don't know how I feel about this. Right. Yeah. Right. The, sometimes the faces were a little strange. Mm-hmm. Certain features on a face would be over-exaggerated in some way. And sometimes the the motion, I Movement. can kind of see the yeah. 
the video gaminess of it. I didn't realize it was that at the time. But now that you say that, I could kind of uh, see where that is. It didn't take me out of any of the episodes, but it was something that I did notice. And I, I, I like I said, I didn't know how I felt about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, overall, I like the the art stuff. I especially like the stills and the animation doesn't bother me. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, overall, I, I liked the season a lot. I mm-hmm. thought there was there were episodes I definitely liked more than other episodes. I didn't consider any of them bad. It's just I was most excited by also yeah the the Nebula episode, the Kahori episode, the um uh the Hela episode, and I mean it just yeah that that end run was just banger banger banger. No, um, okay, that's good. My personal favorite, and I know I'm probably unique for this, but I loved episode eight, which was the sixteen oh two one, uh, which is. Um, which is, yeah, we'll talk about it more, but it's right. uh, based on a Neil Gaiman yeah. comic run. Oh, cool. Um, <clears throat> and I just, my history, even though that one is way worse on the history than the Kahori one, we'll talk about it. But <laughs> <laughs> I still enjoyed it. It was a good time. When I uh, messaged you guys some at some point in the break, I said, what are the ones that I should absolutely watch? Mm-hmm. Uh, before we got on the podcast, and obviously I got, a, I, I failed on on two, but it was basically five through nine. I think is what you guys yeah, said. Yeah, we said yeah, we really liked one, yeah. and five through nine basically. is important for the story, right? Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, any other uh, broad, spoiler-free thoughts before we take a break and then get into specifics? No. No, just if if you're thinking whether or not you should watch it, just you know put on an episode every once in a while it's a fun time and it does all they're building a cool it's they're building like its own universe within the mc universe of mm-hmm. own multiverse within the multiverse situation here with a new stable of characters that i'm really growing attached to so yeah very cool definitely yeah, and if you want our uh, spoiler-free, well, we do spoiler-free hot takes, and then we get into each episode just like we're going to do same format here uh, for season but much one. More in depth, yeah. In yeah, one. you can you can go through, and we can we can talk about that. And then in this case, we're going to go um, episode by episode and, and break it down a little bit. But first, let's take a quick break. And we're back. Okay, let's start doing our episode by episode uh, breakdown. Alicia, as always, thank you so much. We appreciate all your efforts um, at (laughs) giving us a great structure to work these through. Uh, Uh, Yes, and I have to thank Wikipedia for helping me with the recaps. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of work. So awesome. So we're going to do this. um, I think you guys are going to trade off uh, Mm -hmm. one by one. We'll do a little synopsis and then we'll talk about any specific details that we found that are important for the story or things that we liked about the, uh, the episodes. So uh, who's kicking us off? Uh, Yeah, I will. So overall, the head writer of the season was again, AC Bradley. And so we talked about her a bit more last episode. If if you're curious, um, she's the head writer and producer on both seasons and also works on Ms. Marvel. And the director again uh, was Brian Andrews. And we're still waiting to hear about his Marvel zombies. Um, Animation was done by Flying Bark 
sorry, Flying Bark Productions, Stellar Creative Lab, and SDFX Studios with Scott Wright and Stephen Frank, that name will come back, serving Mm -hmm. as head of animation. Uh, So, Question about Marvel Zombies. I think that's the one that came out of season one that's actually getting its own spinoff, right? Like they're actually going to develop it as a thing. Yes. Yes. I mean, yeah, we don't know if it's tied to the season one episode, but it seems probably, but we don't know much about it. Okay. It's, it was supposed to be coming in 2024. Now I haven't heard anything further, so I'm not holding my breath. Right. Well, we'll when it happens, we'll, it'll, it'll happen, right? Yeah. So, fair enough. Cool. Maybe they'll surprise us. Okay. <laughs> like, like with the Wakanda show. Right. Um, yeah, so uh, we start with episode one, What If Nebula Joined the Nova Corps? And this was directed by Stephen Frank. So that's that. Um, that's the head of animation that I talked about uh, for both seasons. And writer Matthew Chauncey, who we also talked about last uh, last season, was one of the major writers. And the change in this episode is that Ronan, the accuser, successfully rebelled against Thanos and became the biggest baddie in the in the universe. And when um, Nebula, she ends up being cast out, lands on Xandar, and she's given a second chance by Nova Prime um, to have her life in the Nova Corps there. So Five years after this happens, Xandar has been sealed off from the universe to protect itself from Ronan's forces, and Nebula discovers Yandu's body. And she gets bullied by some Nova Corps douches, and Nova Prime orders her to investigate the murder off the record. Nebula learns that Yandu found the codes to open the planetary shield, thus allowing Ronan in, and she enlists the help of imprisoned Kree soldier Yanrog to infil- infiltrate the Nova Corps mainframe and destroy them. Yonrog betrays her, revealing that he and Nova Prime planned to give up Xandar to Ronin, and they try to kill her, but Nebula, Nebula survives, and she enlists the help of Howard the Duck, who's a casino, <laughs> uh, casino owner, and his gang Groot, Meek, and Korg to stop Nova Prime. And during their fight, Nebula reveals that she actually realized Nova Prime's defection when she assigned the mission to her. She realized that something was off there. So she altered the code so that the shield would open, but then close again, smashing Ronan's ship, the Dark Aster, just as he was entering Xandar, thus destroying uh, the ship and killing Ronan. And Nova Prime, learning this, tries to escape, but falls to her death. And the shield reopens, the sun shines, and Nebula (laughs) prepares to continue defending her new home planet. So you, David, you said this was uh, probably, it sounds like maybe your favorite. Second favorite. I think Yahori is my my favorite for sure. Um, I enjoyed this one. Oh, um, uh, just before I give my thoughts too, note to self. Whenever my boss comes to me and tells me to do something off the record, yeah. <laughs> make sure that you know you know what's going on. You got yourself protected. So props to Nova for seeing through the uh, the ruse yeah, there, and I liked that yeah. twist that you know uh, she actually had uh, figured it out. So I thought that was cool. I thought the visuals mm-hmm. were great. Once I got. Uh, I over the fact that, Hey, you know what, this is, this is very Blade Runner. Like what's going on? Yeah. I'm like, actually it looks really cool. And then later when I obviously learned officially that it's, it's, you know, it's supposed to be that way. I appreciated it a little bit more, but I, I think what I liked most was it's dark tone. Um, mm-hmm. I like the fact that we've got that we can go there. We're going to go there with Echo. It seems like you know. Let's let's do this. Let's go MCU after dark, right? Let's let's deal 
with some more difficult things or darker toned things as part of the menu of, of options and stories that we have. And so uh, I, for one, really appreciated that. And I, and I, again, thought it was a innovative storyline within the what if universe rather than just swapping one character for the other. Like this felt like a wholly new storyline, you know, like the, they, they took the basis, but then they took it really far rather than just uh, an incremental change. So um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Totally agree. Um, yeah. And the dark tone was visual as well. So I yes. really did like that, um, that they moved through the shadows, you know, alleyways and, you know, crawl spaces. I, I just really loved that tonality visually. Um, and the story itself was, was like you said, David, it was it's kind of different with the shield, you know, keeping them locked inside for, mm-hmm. what was it, five years? Like, yeah. you can imagine what that would do to um, <laughs> to a society, mm-hmm. you know, that, that regularly is spacefaring, right? Like, you can travel off planet and, and go do things. And to yeah, be and they stuck, don't see the three suns. Right. And to be stuck in this darkness for five years, knowing that if you do see the light, that, you know, it's probably going to be the end of you. That's mm-hmm. really, I thought that was a really cool concept. Um, yeah, kind of inverting so, the whole uh, light versus dark uh, yeah, storyline. Yeah. yeah, like the dark is saving you right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, it, yeah. you know, if there's any glimmer of light that shines, man, that's it. It's, it's over. Um, so I thought that was really cool of them and the way that they presented the story. I, and it, it, it was, re- I, I like, you know, Nebula. I, I've always liked her character. I liked her character in the MCU movies. Um, and it's good to see her get something of her own. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Stands Not just out being a supporter. On. Yeah, yeah. And that, yeah. That she can stand on her own and and have a story, you know, revolve around her. Um, I thought was really was really good. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, they made this episode just because they like Karen Gillum so much. They like working mm. with her, so they just okay. wanted Nebula to have her own story. That's, That's cool. Awesome. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. I like that. I like to hear that. That is awesome. And. Uh, uh, I- yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was to say, and I also have to point out that she was ID'd in this as an Omega class cyborg. Now we know yeah. we normally like when I hear Omega class, I think Storm is an Omega class mutant, which means she's yes. an, a goddess, basically. So that means Nebula is pretty freaking badass, powerful in this yeah. universe. <laughs> yeah. I, I also I love the Blade Runnerness. I love the the, the film noirness. That apparently they were intentionally mimicking their favorite eighties movies throughout this season. So we see that come back in a few different episodes. Um, I love that she summons Yondu's arrow with like a hologram recording of him, yeah. and just seeing her use it was awesome. I want more of this Nebula. Like every time yes. I see a different Nebula, yes. I'm like I want more of this Nebula. This was um, a really competent Nebula rather than just an angry sister, neb- you know, sibling Nebula, which I thought was a significant character change. Because a, a lot of times it's just her in opposition to um, Gamora, uh, where this is, yeah, like you were saying, she's on her own. She's competent. Not only 
I would say she's more hard boiled than noir, but that's like splitting hairs. Um, well, I think she, they, they did a lot of specific. I mean, Blade Runner is very film noir as it is, but they did a lot of specific film noir tropes. Like this is the one episode where the main character takes over narrating from the watcher. So right, that that's can- true, true. But I'm I'm thinking hard. She's more hard boiled in that she knows the terrain she knows the systems of power and then is able to navigate through those where a lot of times with noir the primary uh protagonist doesn't under there's something that they don't understand there's a mystery that's revealed that shocks them and then whether they survive or not through the noir is is a different question um but she was very hard-boiled and in it, I just liked it. Her being away from the sibling rivalry part of it, and just being a person on her own, and and that was uh, uh, to to learn more about her character. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as far as the mystery, I'm not sure. I completely buy why or you know that Nova Prime and the rest would betray their planet, and she was Ronin's yeah. side. Um, Fair enough. Fair that was enough. the one thing that fell a little flat for me. But I love that, except for Nova Prime and Groot, I love that everyone else was played by the live action actors. Um, and that's the case for most of most of the characters this season. So it's a really incredible cast. And uh, Korg is in everything, it seems like. <laughs> that guy is like he one of the most- He should be in everything. Love Korg. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Korg I, was, I, I was wondering, I'm like- Taika Waititi, I like- see you, Redemption Arc. Exactly. <laughs> Like, do I like Korg? And and oh, then I I'm like, Korg. yeah, I think I Korg is growing on me even more. <laughs> no, nah, I like Korg. I've he's so constant. Korg. He's such yeah. a constant. This yeah. Character. And we also Bring- see, they're, they're sort of putting in these what if episodes, all the cosmic characters together. So we also see Drax in the background. So apparently yeah. like, the other would-be guardians are trapped here. Oh, I the, that. the prison that was floating in space in the Guardians movie is actually on the ground. And that's where they get mm-hmm. young Rog out of. Um, but... Yeah, we got our our man Garth and Saul. He was like the right hand man of Nova Prime. He was a hero in the MCU. He died fighting Ronan, and here he's head douche. So that's a downgrade for his character. <laughs> <laughs> did you think? And I know this is, comes from the comics, but John, did you think like the Zandarian world mind? It's looking a lot like the Kree supreme intelligence. Um, it just made me think about this. There are similarities between the Kree and the Zandarians. Like they're both military people who kind of have like a computer deciding things for them. But then it, except for this, what if where Nova Prime and Co. You know, uh, take a heel turn. It turns them out in different ways. I find that interesting. Yeah. Um. I, I've not been a, a fan of how the Nova Corps has been portrayed in the MCU because they don't do the things that are in the comic, um, specifically as it relates to uh, what you just said, the world mind, um, and how it powers the Nova Corps. Um, so the world mind is, is, is a supercomputer, but it also it, it, it has a what's called the Nova force that it imbues the core members with. So they're able to fly out in space basically, um, and become enhanced, um, persons. So they don't really do that in the MCU. And I think that bit of fantasy is kind of needed. I, I, you know, it's, it's highbrow and it's, you know, like, Oh, what kind of, you know, magic stuff is this, you know, flying in the, 
in outer space, but I, I, I'm a fan of that sort of magic stuff flying in outer space. So I, I'm missing that part of what the MCU can do. And, um, and there's a particular arc that the Nova Corps is destroyed, just like it was destroyed in the MCU, but the powers of the core of the world mind infused with too. one Nova. Yeah. And you have the world mind and Richard Ryder, who, that's the Nova, um, who are basically the Nova Corps. And it's some, um, I think they, they need to do more with that. And they've already destroyed the Supreme Intelligence. So right. that's out. Um, right. So I don't know where, where they go with all of this stuff. That right. Well, I mean, I guess that's what what if is for also is for these where they took a different way where people might be missing certain things from the comics. They can come back. Yeah, what if. definitely. Like, I would love to see Richard Ryder in the mm-hmm. Nova Corps um, proper. Um, well, there was supposed be to be that Nova one shot. And, you know, God knows what's happening with that, obviously. But uh, I do wonder if that's still lingering somewhere, if there's ideas about that. Right. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and also just the fact that the that Xandar was presumed destroyed by Thanos in the MCU does make me feel more protective of the planet in this short. So yeah. when you see like the shield go up, you're like, yeah, oh, you need this shield so you don't get blown up. But then also, this is a, a planet that has the three suns. And so it's always like right. a beautiful day there. And now they're plunged right. into darkness. And what does that do with you know, I struggle even just in the winter with the short days. Like, what does yeah. that do when <laughs> right. you're completely cut off from three suns? Um, and I think there's just a lot of nice philosophical underpinnings in there. Like, well, here we have the heartbreak where Nebula was, of course, betray- betrayed by Thanos, always adoptive daddy. But here she's also betrayed by adoptive mommy. So it's a bit darker. Yeah, right, um, right. Yeah. But then you have at the end that happy ending where – like when it opens up and we have the sun, if we open ourselves to new possibilities, they seem to be suggesting we face risk, but it's also the only way to really thrive for things to grow right. and things to develop. Right. So, I didn't even yeah. think about that. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good that makes point. Sense. Um, I have a question for you guys. So I, I think of this as kind of like the only truly standalone, or at least is a truly standalone episode this season. Is this, what you want or expect what if to be or do you like also having the interconnected episodes that we get later jean i want it to be this i i want it to be standalone stories that don't necessarily connect to one another i think there's a um the idea that the mcu has like this you know overarching story that's being told by individual you know stories <laughs> right I, I I'm I just want this to be what it is. This is a story that we're telling in this universe. Boom, next. But I say that I don't have a problem with the multiverse aspect of the what if, right? Mm-hmm. Um, bring all the heroes together if it's done well. Yeah. If it's done I, well. Yeah. But I really think that standalone stories. When I first heard about what if coming to the screen, that's the first thing that I thought was like, okay, these are going to be, you know, stories that don't really matter to the overall, you know, plot of whatever else is coming to the MCU. Um, That they connected them in season one and they're doing so in season two. It doesn't take me out of it, but I would prefer it to be just those one-offs. 
I, I thought that that's what it was going to be, of course, when we first heard about the show. Um, but I'm finding myself, and I I appreciate, I enjoy, I loved this episode. I love that it's its own thing and it ends where it ends and we don't really need it to continue, although I want to see more of that nebula. But that's that's my problem is I, I'm like, yeah, give me a good, fresh, standalone story. And then if I like it, I want to see more of it. And I find myself <laughs> always drawn into like these interconnected worlds. And this is why I keep getting right. like right. sucked into the IP, right. like Marvel and, and like uh, a song of ice and fire. And, you know, yeah, I, I have to go along with the uh, interest in having more standalone diverge further and further from the source material. I guess I'm not as big of an MCU head that I want to know, Oh, what if it was Peter Parker instead of, um, you know, uh, 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 black widow that did this thing and everything else sort of played out similarly. That doesn't excite me as much as take uh, an existing character, put them in a radically different situation than from what I, I knew. And then, show me more about that character. What show me more, let me learn more about that character's motivations and um, reasons for the way that they do things in these different circumstances. That for me is fresh storytelling. That's for me more entertaining than just the, the minor variation uh, uh, plot styles. All right. Should we move on to episode two? Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. So um, episode number two, what if Peter Quill, attacked Earth's mightiest heroes. I don't know why I got stuck with the Peter Quill episode. Sorry, it wasn't on purpose. It happened in season one. Uh, New, well. New Year, same genre. <laughs> Alicia is blushing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's substick. I know, but because you, you trapped John oh, twice. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, I mean, I also tra- trapped him with the Kalori episode. Well, the thing is, I keep giving him also my favorite episodes, but it just oh. Oh, better to do know, so yeah, like you got this Doctor Strange one last episode. You got six <laughs> and eight this episode, this season. All right, uh, cool. Cool. All right. Um, okay. So this is directed by Brian Andrews, and the writer is Matthew Chauncey. The change Yondu delivered Peter Quill to his father Ego in 1988 instead of keeping him, allowing Ego to tap into Peter's power and take control. Just that sentence is just so. Think mm-hmm. about it. You know, gave him to his father instead of keeping him, which is yeah. actually what happened. It's a very like, different Yondu. Man, even the, the, the Yondu that we know, keeping the kid, mm. Lord have mercy. Okay. Six months later, after ravaging several worlds, Quill returns to Earth. In response, Director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Peggy Carter and Scientific Advisor Howard Stark recruit Bill Foster, King T'Chaka of Wakanda, Bucky Barnes, Dr. Wendy Lawson, and a reluctant Hank Pym, who brings his daughter Hope along. After a scuffle on Coney Island, the team locked Quill up with, the help, with help from Thor. As the team discusses their next move, young Hope frees Quill, who travels to Missouri. As T'Chaka, Foster, and Thor help S.H.I.E.L.D. hold Eagle back, Pym and Lawson find Quill visiting his mother's grave. A sympathetic Pym convinces him to stand against his father. Bucky, in his winter soldier mode, prepares to assassinate Quill until Starks remind him of his best friend, Steve Rogers. As Eagle overwhelms the heroes and tries to take back the seed he plans to use to take over Earth, Pym and Quill arrive just in time to stop him, with the latter using the seed to destroy Eagle's avatar. The team, minus Barnes, celebrates their victory 
before setting out to confront Ego himself. Finn. Alicia? Um, yeah, so I know this episode, a lot of people really liked it. I medium liked it. I liked it well enough. Um, it was a middle of the pack for me in a strong season, but I thought it was really fun to see a new but familiar team in a time period we haven't really gotten to see yet. Um, I always love, <laughs> always love more Peggy Carter, which, you know, what if is obviously a lot for that, a but I have to, Carter. yeah, but I have to give another plug for the only two season long series, Agent Carter, on available on Disney Plus, uh, where awesome. you get to see more of her and Stark, Howard Stark, you know, um, Tony's father's dynamic. So I think that's a lot of fun. And yeah, I, I kind of love this young Hope and Peter bestie lineup. So again, like, I'm like, this was great. Great standalone episode. Give me more. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think, Sean? Um, this Peter Quill it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. I, I, you know, I, little kid Peter Quill is, is definitely better than adult Peter Quill. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's where I'm at with it. I thought the episode was cool. Um, I really like um, seeing Bill Foster back mm-hmm. in, in superhero form. Um, uh, sidebar, Marvel comic, bring back Bill Foster. He's been dead way too long bring him back finn um so Mm -hmm. yeah i thought this was a really cool um it was cool i i I like that he gets to explore his power set in a way that he doesn't really do in the movies um you get to see just how powerful that you know quill could be could become um and like you said this grouping of heroes that we've never really seen before i thought was was really nice to to have um T'Chaka is always uh, uh, welcome um, in his Black Panther, you know, outfit (laughs) was really cool. Um, So, yeah, I I just thought the episode was cool for me. It it was fine. It was nothing that I'm like, oh, you have to watch it. But if you watch it, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. David, you didn't watch this one, right? Uh, I did, but it didn't. Or I started to watch it. Maybe I I think maybe I, I dropped out halfway. Okay. Um, it, it didn't grab me. And I know I was just banging the drum about give me more, um, innovative storytelling. And this one sounded like, if I remember right, it, it was a little bit of an innovative storytelling. So, um, maybe I just wasn't, I don't know. I just didn't get invested in this, in, in this plot for, for whatever reason. So I, I kind of have a, a, a null response to it, mm. neither good nor, you know, bad. Yeah. So. Uh, that's yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of like nostalgia factor, and I think, and why a lot of people like it because yeah. So we again, we had all the original cast back except for Wendy Lawson, and of course they aged down Peter and Hope. Um, and Wendy Lawson is Marvell from Captain Marvel, the role played by Sigourney Weaver. And then of course, yeah, as you brought up, we get Bill Foster back, who's um, he's Giant Man or Black Goliath in the comics, and he's Hank Pym's old partner. So they work together on size size changing technology. So that's why like. You know, he can get big as Hank Pym gets small. Um, and he's played by Lawrence Fishburne. And we last saw him as Ghost's protector slash guardian in Ant-Man and the Wasp. So we know Ghost will be back in Thunderbolts. Maybe Lawrence Fishburne will too? I don't know, but I don't want him back if he's not giant. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that they would, uh, that, you know, yes. maybe Ghost goes to him for help. And he's like, well, okay, let, let me break out this old yeah. technology. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't want Bill Forster in the MCU if he's not going to be a. Hero. 
Yeah, fair. No, he was that. he was he was wasted in um, Ant Man and the Wasp. Total waste of a character. Yeah, I I don't need that. I don't yeah. want that. I don't need it. So yeah. Yeah, um, just to set this in the timeline, so this is one year after Janet Van Dyne disappeared into the quantum realm and three years before Winter Soldier kills Howard Stark. So the, here they are side by side. I wonder if that happens in this universe too. And yeah, this is also while obviously Wendy Lawson is working on Project Pegasus, which is where S.H.I.E.L.D., NASA, and the U.S. government works together to study the Tesseract. I loved the reference to T'Chaka's father, Azuri, that yeah. who he fought with yeah. Cap in the comics, and they said he gifted the vibranium for Captain America's shield. shield. So, yeah. yeah, and they reference him being lost in the Arctic. Um, what did you think of the more serious Thor this episode? He was neither here nor there for me. Quite honestly, like I think he was just filler. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess have a yeah. Big role. I, I I think it was something for them to play off of. You know, and and getting to Peter, like, oh, we have to stop Thor from doing this bad thing that we don't want him to do or whatever. But yeah, I, I don't think he was really, um, I don't think he was integral to the to the story, and didn't feel like he needed to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. I mean, so they said that um, Quill destroyed uh, destroyed Asgard and the other realms, and that's why he was there. And I guess that's why he was more serious. But I felt like it was sort of a giving that to the fans who have been complaining that Thor's too jokey in the MCU. Mm, I didn't even think about that. That's that's well, if that's the case, that was a fail. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I I don't have any strong feelings about Thor. Yeah, you got a you got a serious Thor, but yeah. it didn't move the needle one way yeah. or the other, you know? So Um but it's worth noting that Ego, the planet, survives in this universe. So, like, it's got to can't be too hard for him to grow a new avatar. Uh, I did like. I, it looks like Peter though gets to keep his celestial powers in this universe. Yeah, and yeah. We got that team up at the end. Do you want to see more of this team? No, <laughs> I don't need to go back to this universe. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I I liked. I feel like the team up was the most exciting thing for me. That I want to see more of the team more than I wanted to see necessarily the rest of the episode. Yeah, I can see that. I can if see that. If that makes but sense. Yeah. It, it makes sense to me. But the way that they, the story played out, there's, there's really, um, yeah, it's like, for me, I feel like I got this story out of them. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. I, I don't, I'm not clamoring to see more of these characters um, interact with one another or interact with the greater MCU proper. Mm. Okay. Okay. Did we change your thoughts at all of, on this episode, David? Mm. <laughs> mm, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Maybe John's um, John's uh, attitudes towards Peter Quill have infected me beyond uh, yeah. my, my realization. Yes. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right. Peter uh, Quill didn't do the dumb thing with Thanos, so I like him. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, yeah. I did watch this next one, episode three, uh, okay. and it was a bit of a head scratcher, but it was fine. So. Yeah. It's, I think uh, you're up, Alicia. Yeah, it's called What If Happy Hogan Saved Christmas, or as I like to call it, What If Happy Hogan Did a Die Hard? Yeah, and, basically. Um, <laughs> It's directed by Brian Andrews, written by AC Bradley and Matthew Chauncey, get co-credits. And the change is 
an Avengers holiday party goes awry in a plot suspiciously like Die Hard. Um, so on Christmas Eve, Happy Hogan is assigned to oversee security at Avengers Tower for the annual holiday party when Justin Hammer and his henchmen, Sergei and Rusty, break out of prison and assault the tower, trying to steal Tony Stark's technology and a sample of Bruce Banner's blood. While attempting to save the blood sample, Hogan accidentally injects himself with it, causing him to gradually transform into a purple Hulk-like monster, the Freak, while retaining his intelligence. While uh, with the Avengers busy and Stark's AI Jarvis down for maintenance, Hogan enlists the help of eternal intern Darcy Lewis, who tries to find a new AI to reboot the tower's security systems. However, she is taken hostage by Hammer's group, who hijack the Iron Legion and Stark's Hulkbuster armor. Once his transformation is complete, Hogan destroys the Legion and defeats Hammer, but not before the Avengers mistake him as the enemy and attempt to fight him before turning to help him. While Hammer is taken back into custody, the Avengers praise Hogan for his efforts and resume their Christmas party. So, yeah, you are not a, a huge fan, David? It was just, uh, it was very on the nose for mm. the, the Die Hard thing. There is some of that silly humor what's the name of the assistant um darcy 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 right yeah and darcy was and darcy was from the very first thor movie right yeah that and she was, was in wandavision movie. also and okay yeah, right she, she comes back in thor stuff a lot yeah yeah just the, you know that that style of humor is not my favorite my personal uh, favorite so it was kind of like uh i did like the light-hearted of it mm -hmm. and it was kind of silly and low stakes and it didn't it's not game changing it, it was just one of those hey let's have a party and and you know uh, cause some mayhem and, and see what happens so i enjoyed that aspect of it and i didn't mind the diehardness of it so much i guess if i i don't know th that's a good question because i didn't know either for episode one or this one that these were specific homages mm -hmm. and i don't know if that would have helped me going into it or not um, but I, yeah, it was fine. I mean, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was entertaining and, and that was about it. What'd you think, Sean? I liked it. I, I thought it was cool. I, I, the reason why I liked it, uh, I liked seeing Happy Hogan. As, mm -hmm. You know, I liked seeing him super powered and, and, you know, taking on this role that he's only watched for, before. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. everything that we've seen him, he's been adjacent to the heroics, <laughs> the super powered heroics, I should say. And it was cool to see, you know, a, a sort of every person um, get these powers and, and jump into action using them um, and try to navigate them. And then, you know, mm -hmm. to convince people uh, I'm actually the good guy here, you know, because mm -hmm. of the way he looked. Um, so it was. Yeah, that was that was a nice little twist. It wasn't. Yeah. So I, I that was my favorite part of it. Just seeing Happy um, become this super powered person like this. I would, I would like to see more of him. Mm -hmm. I don't need to see the entire crew, right. but more stories around, you know, happy in this universe, you know, potentially being, you know, out there fighting, um, super villains or crime or whatever. Yeah. I think that would be interesting. for me. So I, I enjoyed it specifically because of the portrayal of, of happy Hogan. It was interesting. They gave him in the episode eight in the 1602 universe, they gave him the same powers. Like, so yeah. uh, presumably that means then there are other universes where he, they, they this he happens. Is. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this wasn't, this was one of my less 
favorite episodes of the season um, toward the bottom of my rankings. But overall, I like the season. So I, I didn't I didn't hate it by any means whatsoever. I, I thought it was fine. It was fun. It was, you know, I made sure I made my uh, family watch it with me on Christmas. So <laughs> I was in the mood. Um, it was probably the most shat upon episode in the fandom overall. But Seriously? Which I'm, yeah, I'm a okay. bit surprised about because I, like, I thought people that, yeah. liked Die, Die Hard. Like, come yeah, on. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. It was a lighthearted yeah. one that didn't have any stakes, really. Yeah. It didn't, yeah. It didn't really make you think anything. You you weren't, I, I wasn't certainly going to take it seriously right. beyond that it was a what if. It, it, I think it, I think for me, now that we're talking about it in this real time moment, in terms of what I expect what if to be, this pretty much hit at the center of the target. This is, you know. I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Mm. You know. Um, yeah. whereas like some, when we go to Kohori or something like that, that has much bigger stakes and that's telling mm. a, a much more impactful, uh, story, I think in but for I, a lot I, of reasons. But I think that goes back to what I said earlier about, you know, people having the expectation of the interconnectedness to, to all Marvel stories, right? Mm -hmm. Like how does this fit into the overall structure, the overall plot, the overall, you know, uh, phase of where we're going to right how do we get from a to to z mm -hmm. and where does that fit in where does this story fit in on that timeline for yeah. to get us from a to z and yeah. you know the stories don't have to be that mm -hmm. and you know you don't have to there's there's no real start or end to comic book story right mm -hmm. <laughs> there, there there are events that happen in comics you know, but the events are always happening in comics. Yeah. <laughs> There's always something going on in comics, you know, and, and you, you don't, yeah, it's, it's just difficult for me to, to, to be like, Hey, you know, where does this fit into the overall narrative? I don't need everything to be connected. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's where a lot of people have issues because they don't feel like things are being connected enough. Um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, once they, they start to get that sort of, you know, oh, I have to watch this in order to understand that. Right. That's what the connectivity is. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can't complain about it not being connected enough and then complain about it being <laughs> too connected. connected. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I think want. they, they walk the line well enough, but of course I prefer the connectivity. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. fine. That's cool. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not on either side of, of the aisle here. Um, I'm I bipartisan see, yeah. Yeah. on, on this issue. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> so, but it's really, you know, telling to me that people complain about mm -hmm. what we've heard over the last year, two years about Marvel fatigue, that's been one of the main issues, right? People mm -hmm. saying, oh, I have to watch something in order to understand this. And then I don't want to watch anything else in order, in order to understand this, mm -hmm. right? right? And it's really, you know, is that a real thing or is it something that is being, you know, propagated by a very small minority of very right. loud folk? I think a lot of the... Angry takes are exactly the latter, you know, being propagated by a, a small vocal minority. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, this is like, there are the connections here if you look for them. And I think that that's what Marvel is at its best is, you know, it's it's a movie or a TV show you should be able to watch on its own and it should pr provide you with just enough context that you need 
that you don't need to rewatch something else. But then like the comics, if you like a certain character, like go back and watch that yeah. character's origin and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah. And I, so this is set on the timeline just before the age of Ultron. And that explains why we have this lineup of Avengers and why Tony has that technology. We've got all the original cast back except for uh, Tony and black widow or the, same voices as the uh, who did them in season one, Mike Wingert and Lake Bell. And we also have uh, Josh Keaton stepping in for Steve Rogers. And that's true throughout the season. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, we get, we get uh, Kat Dennings back as Darcy. And I love Darcy personally, like Darcy, I want to be my best friend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, yeah, sometimes the humor here didn't necessarily feel as well meshed as it did in say WandaVision. I think that was really Darcy at her best um, or maybe the first Thor too. Uh, and yeah, there's, I just have lots of questions. Like, what is she studying? How does her program work? How old is she? <laughs> like, um, but I don't necessarily need that to be clarified. Uh, I love that she calls happy puffin two because Bernard from accounting is puffin one. And this is actually the second reference we've gotten to Bernard from accounting. Bernard and from if. accounting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, black widow wanted to set up Peggy with him in, uh, with her yeah, Bernard from accounting Bernard? in season one. Yeah. I hope he turns up at some point. <laughs> um, and I loved also that nobody wanted the Hawkeye action figures. Hawkeye got a lot of slights this episode, which he did. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I didn't think about that. That is true. 50% off, right? Yeah. 50% <laughs> off. <laughs> Even his kids didn't want it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of fun things. Like why is Natasha dressed as a ballerina? Well, she does have ballet training. I guess it's just fun. Um, she was on a mission. Uh, I love the Easter eggs. Like the new AI is Werner. It's a yeah, Werner, Werner Herzog. Herzog reference, Herzog, which is so yeah. random. Are you a fan of his films, David? Uh, I am, uh, and I don't know how to say this, an admire. I, I appreciate Werner Herzog. He just wrote a new book. Uh, I forget the title of it. It's like, uh, and, and, uh, God is angry and against man. Or I don't know. It's something that's really pro provocative, uh, title. And I heard a number of, um, interviews with him as he was promoting his book. And it, it sounded really interesting because he had a really, wild life you know, the way he grew yeah. up in in the in the ashes of world war ii and uh and his filmmaking career so i i appreciate his voice and i appreciate his take i thought they were going to go what's the name of the ai that hydra had the guy with the glasses oh uh zola yeah zola but that's yeah. I was when I first heard the Werner Herzog voice, I was like, oh my God, mm. it's, it, it, why would they bring back Zola? It's <laughs> ridiculous. Of all the ones, but why then does it was Tony even have him? Yeah. Exactly. So um, yeah. it was kind of fun. I mean, it was like having Werner Herzog in, in Mandalorian for, you know, the yeah. uh, first couple of episodes. So yeah, it was a yeah, random, random reference, but, um, and they, they gave him like that nihilistic sort of yeah. characteristic uh, tone. Um, just some fun Easter eggs and Happy's phone. I love that they had the names of the creators and writers, um, A. Bradley, M. Chauncey, S. Lee as for Stanley, and then a bunch of like Fury Hill, a bunch of the Avengers, government people like uh, Thunderbolt Ross, Darcy, of course. And then random ones like Christine Everhart was Tony's reporter, news reporter hookup. And uh, Harley Keener is the kid from Iron Man 3. Like these are all in Happy's phone. So... I love the uh, these little details in these episodes. We won't right. go through many of them, but it's fun. 
The uh, uh, book title for uh, Herzog's book, by the way, is Every Man for Himself and God Against All. <laughs> so it has a very nihilistic uh, – but you know, the thing mm-hmm. is he's not nihilistic himself. He's very positive in, in his outlooks and things. He's just – as a okay. brutal pragmatist. I would not have known that. Okay. Yeah. So really, really interesting. So Cool. Um, n- then next up, we had the silliest episode of them all, in my opinion. Episode four, what if Iron Man crashed into the Grandmaster? Director is Brian Andrews and written by A.C. Bradley. The change. Tony destroys the Chitauri mothership above New York City in 2012, like in the events of the Avengers first movie, but he doesn't make it back through the portal to New York City before it closes, instead falling through space and landing on Sakaar. After agreeing to stay for one drink, Tony is trapped on Sakaar by its ruler, the Grandmaster. Stark interferes in a death race to save one of the racers, Korg, and encounters Gamora, who was sent by Thanos to kill Stark for stopping the Chitauri before the Grandmaster's chief enforcer, Topaz, imprisoned the pair. Upon learning Gamora's purpose and vowing to stop the Grandmaster, Stark escapes, recruits Korg and Valkyrie, builds a new Iron Man suit, and challenges the Grandmaster to a race for the title of Sakaar's ruler. Through the, though the Grandmaster tries to cheat, Stark ultimately wins, and Valkyrie defeats Topaz, sending the melting stick flying <laughs> until it hits the Grandmaster, melting him into a puddle of goo. As Valkyrie is crowned king of Sakaar, Stark convinces Gomorrah to forge her own path. They leave together, and the episode ends with them leaping to kill Alicia, what did you think? Uh, yeah, so this was this was a missing episode from last season. It was uh, delayed due to COVID, and I'd been waiting for this one because um, it explains like how Gamora and Tony ended up together with Thanos and Thanos's Infinity Gauntlet, and. But then I was kind of disappointed at the end. I was like, well, where does she get the stone crusher? Because she just suddenly had the stone crusher in the season finale of last season. But anyway, um, overall, it was my least favorite of the season, but I still enjoyed it reasonably enough. Uh, Jeff Goldblum was always fun, and I thought it was probably the funniest episode overall, especially Cork. Uh, David, you didn't watch this one, right? I think I maybe it was this one that I, I okay. stopped halfway through. There's okay. there's my response right there. That's everything you need to know. I was like, eh, okay. Uh, okay. What okay. do you think, Sean? Um, I thought it was funny. I thought Goldblum and Korg were the stars of this episode. Maybe um, I need to go back and just watch Korg. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah just you know the. I, I think they're they're hilarious. Like I and I love Jeff Goldblum's portrayal of Grandmaster. I think it's <laughs> one of my favorite in the yeah. entire MCU. But yeah, other than that, yeah. It's a it's a fun if you enjoyed the movie Death Race, then yeah. you possibly will enjoy this. Yeah, but this was the Mad Max episode they called it. Definitely. Oh really? but I, no, I mm-hmm. guess I didn't pick up on that aspect of it. When when I watch it again it, it's because i want to laugh with court mm-hmm. and the grandmaster yeah. so yeah that's the reason that this exists to me it, it's just fun those yeah. two they must have had a, a blast in the in the studio voicing these characters that's how it felt yeah yeah it feels like it's supposed to be like the empowering gamora story but she seemed like not know, really 
Yeah, it was the like you said, the characters I'm really watching for the Grandmaster and Korg, and then Tony feels like the star, and then Gamora's, you know, best supporting actress. Yeah, yeah. It would have been better if if she got the Nebula treatment for this episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, it wasn't, again, you know, it's because uh, Zoe Saldana has already left the MCU. Yeah. It was all original cast again, except Tony and Gamora. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I think Cynthia McWilliams did a, a nice job, but it's not the same thing where they're like, oh, Karen Gillum, we love you. We want to give you a Nebula, Nebula episode. Um. It was, it's interesting though, that this was, this is kind of like a real what if, because there was a rumor at the time when Avengers came out that Tony originally wasn't going to fall back to earth in that movie, but he was going to go off and join the Guardians of the Galaxy, like in the comics. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So this is kind of, yeah, how maybe it could have been something like this. This is set four, five years before Thor Ragnarok uh, when we come to this planet, but we see a lot of the background characters are already here. So it's cool to line those up uh, and see how those are transferred to animation. Huh. Um, and yeah, I'm still waiting for so the Grandmaster, uh, Jeff Goldblum, and the Collector, um, Benicio Jimmy? Del Toro, are confirmed brothers. I, yeah. I really want to see them together in a what if next season, please. That would be fun because those yeah. two guys playing off of each other would be, I think, hilarious. Yeah, I agree. And I loved, <laughs> I love the nickname Metal Mojo Man. That's my, <laughs> that's my new name for him. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to point out though, I, so I've been watching, thanks to Dead Eye Jedi Bob, I've been rewatching the old Spider-Man um, animated series, or sorry, the old X-Men animated series also and for in the x-men animated series uh there's the mojo which is yeah. makes people fight for entertainment and game like, world sort of intergalactic cable yeah yeah game world so it's a so character it's, it's like a big casino and like you said um in the show notes you had you you wrote down it's like a cable a cable network which is actually what it is in the comic books so yeah well is, so intergalactic cable is a the, Rick and morty reference but yeah and so that's really cool. There's yeah. More um, X-Men adjacent things. Yeah. Well, I, I think we're, we're shifting that direction. Yeah. That, I, I can't remember where I was hearing something about that, but some folks were talking about, um, you know, is the Avengers stuff kind of, eh, now, you know, it's a little bit, you know, washed. We've gotten a lot of that. You know, and, and is a pivot to something like X-Men going to be the exciting new direction? And is that going to really sort of yeah. reignite interest in the superhero genre? And I, I don't disagree with that take. I don't know about the backside on the Avengers of it, but certainly if they brought X-Men forward. Uh, well, I think there's, there's legal stuff, which- interesting. Um, I mean, sure, it's- For whatever I reason. I mean, it's always been the plan to have the next phase be the X-Men phase. Great. Uh, I think so people already, And I, I think, don't think, I don't, I hope they don't kowtow and just like, move the X-Men up and they just, you know, build toward it properly. People get too impatient. And, it's and true. I, people, the, the market does get impatient. <laughs> and, and <laughs> but I at think, the same time, I think it's an exciting, mm -hmm. I, I think there's a, a, there's a strong desire for the, I, I, I don't think that's a controversial statement no, to no, say no. people are excited for No, I love the X-Men. That was, that's, that was my entry into Marvel. Right. Yeah. And, and this is what you guys are talking about. This is the reason why I call BS on the Marvel fatigue. 
Because mm-hmm. got it. Okay. When you look at a wider uh, set of yes, titles of, of what's coming, mm, that's a good point. These movies, I I would you know place a large wager are going to do very well. Mm-hmm. Got it. Between the X Men, um, Fantastic Four, um, people have been waiting twenty years. Yes. To get these characters done in a way that makes them really really happy, and. Yeah. I don't think that these movies that are coming up with these characters that people have been waiting for are going to engender this conversation about fatigue of superheroes. If anything, they're going to launch a new burgeoning superhero uh, craze. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I just call BS on the fatigue conversation. Got it. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, speaking of people who must be tired, so we've got Grandmaster who's immortal and apparently still alive as a puddle, although the melty stick kills Thanos. The question is, though, is it always his birthday? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> his 27th birthday. <laughs> yes. Every day is his birthday. Every day is his birthday. Love it. All right. So then we get into the, we actually pick up with an interconnected story. We pick up right where we left off last season with What If Captain Carter Fought the Hydra Stomper, uh, directed by Brian Andrews and written by A.C. Bradley. So this is continuing from the post credit scene of season one. And this is the first official sequel in the world of a very first, uh, yeah, in the world of the very first What If episode. And Captain Peggy Carter and Natasha Romanoff find Steve Rogers inside the Hydra Stomper armor aboard the ship they were raiding, but he attacks them. And a briefing with Nick Fury leads Romanoff to deduce that Rogers, who went missing in 1953, was captured and brainwashed by the Red Room. Carter and Romanoff help Brock Rumlaw protect Bucky Barnes from Rogers before incapacitating him and traveling to a secret hideout in Scotland where they learn the suit is keeping Rogers alive, though each activation reduces his chances of survival. Rogers offers to help Carter dismantle the Red Room in the hopes of finding a cure and takes her and Romanoff to a former KGB site that looks like a creepy take on a town in middle America run by automatons. However, the group is ambushed by these drones and and Black Widow assassins, uh, which are controlled by the Red Room's leader, Melina Vostokov, who reactivates Roger's brainwashing. And while Romanoff holds off Vostokov's forces, Peggy connects with Steve again, um, and he sacrifices himself to destroy the Red Room, but not before Natasha uses her grappling hook to tie Milena's, uh, tie Milena to Roger's suit so that she's killed in the resulting explosion as well. Uh, as Carter tries to find Roger's and uh, not believing that he could be dead, a portal suddenly takes her to a Renaissance-themed universe, surprising even the Watcher. And there she encounters its variants of Fury and Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. Wanda Merlin, and she calls out to her friend, the Watcher, for help. So, what do you think of this episode, Jean? I liked it. This is, um, yeah, so after five, uh, after episode four, three, and two, this is, this was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm in this. I'm in this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the town <laughs> that they that they went to, the the replica, you know, America Americana, you know, middle America town that they 
found themselves in with the automatons and it, it that that was just so cool. Um, yeah, creepy, yeah. Yeah, it was so so very creepy. Um, I just like the entire tone of the episode. The one thing was that Steve, when outside of the suit, right when you see his face, I, I just wasn't convinced of his villainy. <laughs> <laughs> it just didn't, it didn't, I, 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 didn't, I couldn't I couldn't see his face and think oh gosh this guy's going to you know like totally you know kill people I just didn't get that vibe from from his eyes I don't, I don't know but when he put the the mask up I was totally invested in the character being evil but when they showed his face I wasn't maybe that was I don't know I, I, I it just yeah, I thought he was interesting, but not in the way that Bucky was interesting in the MCU. Like, I didn't think that his brainwashing angle, instead of the Bucky brainwashing angle, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it as much as the Bucky brainwashing. Um, but the fight scenes I thought were really cool. Uh, Black Widow and Peggy's, you know, banter. And they're just the way that they play off each other, I think was really cool. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed it. Yeah. What'd you think, David? Um, this was another meh for me. Um, I, I think maybe I'm just not as invested um, with the, the characters. But it was fine. I, I watched it mostly without looking away at my phone <laughs> too many times. But well, that's a, that's a win. Yeah. That's a win for me. <laughs> that's a win. I, I got interested when the other assassins uh, showed up, uh, mm-hmm. all of Natasha's uh, sisters, quote unquote. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was into that. And uh, I thought that the red room thing, it really reminded me of, uh, what was that called? What was the AI or not the AI, but what was the big ship platform in the creator called? Uh, oh, the, that. Um, it's not the Sentinel. It's like the something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that, that sort of thing is, you know, is hovering menace. So yeah. Oh, and then it was very independence day at the end when uh, they go, uh, when he goes up into it, uh, you know, if you remember the end of and spoilers for Independence Day, I don't know how old that movie is. Oh man, we're spoiling Independence Day. Yeah, exactly. uh, when he flies man. his jet up into the the, the people have only had like thirty years to see it. I know exactly, <laughs> uh, and yeah, so it was it was fine. I did. I thought that the whole Captain Carter making moon dog eyes at uh, Steve Rogers got a little. I was like, okay, I got it. You like him, you know? Uh, and then the sort of love triumphs all, you know, love was able to get Steve Rogers to break his programming or, or what have you. It was kind of like, eh, it was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't, it didn't take me too far, but yeah, I think the, the ending fight scenes uh, were with, with the uh, other assassins that that's where I got interested. Yeah. 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 They, I am more invested in Captain Carter and basically everyone else except this version of Steve Rogers. <laughs> and I don't know if it's because like he's stuck in the suit or whatever, but I've just, yeah, uh, I'm, I was more invested in her and Black Widow, which I was wondering yeah. if Black Widow was like a little jealous at times of, you know. Mm-hmm. It, felt, it mm-hmm. felt that way. Mm-hmm. It felt that way. And I um, think they, they definitely made it feel that way. 
because yeah. they would cut they would cut to her face at certain points you know like and she would have like a bewildered look on her when Peggy was talking about Steve so definitely I think they intended it to feel that way yeah yeah, um, I thought it was really nice to see Melina back, and I love Rachel Weiss, so always happy to see her. But it was sad to see her like this without her redemption arc. Um, yeah. I do. I did like this, like a lot of the story aspects better than the Black Widow movie, which she was riffing off of a lot. But I do have questions, like does Yelena exist in this universe? Apparently there's no Red Guardian because they, did, they modeled him after Cap. And so right. after this, yeah, there's um, instead... I, I want to see that Captain Carter movie musical. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. Uh, although at first I want to see the entire Marvel's movie musical. <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's my recast T'Challa. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there was, there was some fun playing with the with the what ifness with the alternate timelines. We have Brock Rumlow. So since. Um, since Steve and Bucky knocked out Hydra going into the 50s, Brock Rumlow is not a Hydra spy in S.H.I.E.L.D., so he gets to be a good guy in this one instead of becoming Crossbones. And um, they also, of course, we have Captain Carter instead of Captain America at, at the Battle of New York in 2012, but then also the Wasp is there. So apparently the Wasp was originally going to be in the Avengers movie but uh, Feige told Whedon to replace that character with Black Widow instead. Huh. So that's, an, that's a cool callback. Yeah, and then, of course, yeah, Bucky takes the place of, of Pierce, who's played by Robert Redford, because now Bucky has aged like a normal person, so he's like the old government dude. And I have to wonder who's going to bring... I don't think Steve's dead. I'm wondering who's going to bring him back. Is it going to be Peggy's or going to be Bucky to bring him back to himself? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't need Steve. Yeah. I don't need no, I, I don't. I, I, I don't I need this version of Steve. But yeah, I, like I hope he's not. I hope he. I hope you're wrong that he's that he is. I know he's not, but I kind of hope that they change plan. Yeah, yeah, and I have and just, to say, oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just about to say, just go ahead with the, you know, Natasha and Peggy love stories. Yeah, no, I'm, I was more into that. I was also more into Peggy with the other Steve that we'll see in episode eight. But, that one too, <laughs> yeah. They could do that yeah. too, absolutely. Although they're, at least she and Natasha are in the same universe. But um, I know Long, Long Time by Linda Ronstadt has been Steve and, uh, has been Peggy and Steve's song before it was Bill and Frank's song from mm, The Last no, of Us, but now yeah. I can't. I have I associate it with that more. Like, sorry, right. I did it better with that song. <laughs> yeah. So, episode six: What if Kahore reshaped the world? Directed by Brian Andrews, right? Written by Ryan Little. Ryan Little started as a production assistant, working his way up through Marvel to story coordinator and editor. This is the first main writing credit. Couldn't find, um, can't find cultural background. What drove him to specifically want to tell a Mohawk story? The change. Surtur does Ragnarok a few centuries early, destroying Asgard, and the Tesseract crash lands in a lake in the Elysia. Uh, how Dennis Sone, the so it's the Confederacy. Iroquois Confederacy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and pre-colonial 15th century later upstate New York, giving the lake magical properties. After numerous members of the tribe disappear into the lake, never to return, it becomes known as the Forbidden Lake. In the late 15th century, young Mohawk siblings, Kahore and Wata, 
Did I say that correctly? Yes. Uh, hunted by Spanish conquistadors who ransacked their village in search of the fountain of youth. While hiding inside a cave, Wata is captured and Kahari is shot, causing her to fall in the Forbidden Lake and into another dimension where she is nursed back to health by fellow Mohawk people. A villager named Atarak uh, yeah. explains that the missing tribes people were teleported to the sky world where they gained powers and immortality but were unable to return home. As Kahari familiarizes herself with her newfound powers and learns she's the best at them, the conquistadors enter the lake believing it to be the fountain and invade the sky world. Kohari stops them and forces the portal from the sky to the ground and returns home. She and the villagers defeat the conquistadors, rescue her people, and later force Queen Isabella to make peace. Soon after, Dr. Strange emerges from a separate portal and approaches Kohari. David? I thought that this was my favorite episode. It it seemed fresh. It seemed innovative in, in a number of ways. The whole idea with the Tesseract, using the Tesseract and then throwing it into this lake. Um, I, I didn't see that. I did, and then when the Conquistadors showed up, I didn't think that, you know, I didn't realize, oh, you know, they're going after the the Fountain of Youth kind of thing. I thought that was a, a cool motivation for them rolling in that um, that those historical, uh, I don't know what little, little bits and pieces from, from real world history. Uh, I got the most feels from this episode in terms of uh, an emotional response. And I think it was just a very simple thing of overcoming an invasion invaders and rallying people to fight for, so, you know, a, a, a just cause. So I think that worked. Um, I, Thought that the, I mean, they really made the conquistadors uh, as bad guys, like, like, you know, very mono, mm -hmm. flat, uh, you know, fine. And then with Queen Isabella, they really, um, not, I'm not saying that the Spanish shouldn't in this instance be hung out to dry, but they really, they really simplified a lot of complex, uh, you know, stuff in terms of historical currents and tides. I'm not talking about morality. I'm just talking about how history went down. Uh, which is fine. It's a it, it's a cartoon, and uh, but I did scratch my head because when I did some light googling, I didn't think that the Mohawk Nation was anywhere near the Atlantic Seaboard. So I don't know where these Conquistador ships were coming into if they were in the Great Lakes. Oh, they're, but again, they're, doesn't matter. You know, it's like but this is know, before colonialization, um, before the Eastern tribes were pushed to the Great Lakes okay. region. They were. Were they Eastern, on the coast? Eastern Woodland tribes, yeah. So this okay. is upstate New York, yeah. All right. So then, so my my you know my quote unquote my own research failed me there, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just didn't understand uh, th that aspect of of the history. So all of, none of that took me out of it. None of that caused me a problem, you know, or, or what have you. But it was it was uh, a really enjoyable episode, and I don't know if they're they have plans for Kohore as a as a new superhero within the storylines or what they're going to do. But uh, I, I don't know anything about where this character came from and, and where they're going. And I, I thought that was exciting for me. Okay. Alicia, what did you, you think? I'm going to wait till last you go. Sean. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> got um, yeah. So this is like my, uh, you know, it's between this episode and the next episode as my favorite. Right. Um, so it's really hard to parse um, for me. I was really angry at 
the conquistadors being in this episode. Um, and even though I was angry, I still loved it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I still loved it because historically it, just, it didn't make sense for me to have Spanish speaking um, peoples uh, interact with this tribe of, of indigenous peoples, right? They just fake, what I call them, a fake Ponce de Leon looking for the fountain of youth. Right. That's not here. Right. Right. You know, it would have made. That's what I was bumping up against. Right. I was like, wait, this doesn't. But it's a cartoon. So. Yeah, it's a cartoon. But, you know, still, if they did all of this work to to capture, you know, the cultural. Right. What Mm -hmm. what, what am I looking for? What's the word? The accuracies or the. Yeah. The portrayal, a portrayal that was that's representative and not simplify, oversimplify. Yes. Yes. Then the. Invaders should have been French. Okay. Oh, at the very least, you know, English, early English, Dutch, something. They the shouldn't Dutch have were been, their allies, but yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But that's who they should have been interacting with, right? Instead mm-hmm. of the Spanish-speaking, you know, instead of the conquistadors. That, that's the only thing that really bothered me about this episode. Um, it would have been cool to see her, you know, confront you know, Louis the Fourteenth instead of Queen Isabella. <laughs> I think it was Louis. It might have been Louis's great great grandfather who was, you know, King of France at at the time, right? But still, just it it, it didn't take me out, but it upset me. I really loved the this episode for how it treated the interactions between the people who found the tesseract and how the tesseract made them. Mm-hmm. This is a totally different view on how to react to the cosmic that we've received from the MCU. Like they interacted with this power source in a way that we haven't seen before. Right. It it wasn't centralized to one person. It was Mm -hmm. shared and Mm -hmm. it was, it was something that imbued them with power right mm-hmm. they consumed it and, and imbued them with power this is a departure from how we've seen like the stones or or anything else in the mcu that that deals with you know otherworldly powers i thought that was really really cool to watch because it gives you a different viewpoint a different frame of thinking of how you know we see things Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how we deal with nature in a way that is completely different to how another group of people deal with nature. Um, you sent us something in 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 our chat. The Mohawk creation story. Yeah, the creation. No, I'm myth, sorry, I didn't get a chance to, to look at that yet. Which was really illuminating for me because it, it you know, I've not had that experience of, of reading or of hearing that story, right? And to see how they they pulled in the sky world, the water, and all of these, you know, signifiers uh, and and, and put them into the the story that we got in What If, with their own little twist on it, right, Mm -hmm. was really great. It was really awesome to see, um, Mm -hmm. given that background. Once I read it, I was like, oh, it opened up even a new avenue for me to appreciate what they actually did um, in this story. So this was really, this, 
yeah, I, I, I can't say enough good things about it, actually. <laughs> Yeah, um, as far as I, you know, I thought a lot about the historical problem with the Spanish showing up when it, it should have been the French. Um, and I was wondering at first, like, well, of course, it's a different universe. It happens differently. Yeah. So is it just easier to make the Spanish conquistadors baddies in this case in, in film stereotype terms? But then again, Prey, which, by the way, excellent movie. Everyone should watch it. Um, but it's about the Comanche who are... And their enemies are these French trappers until something right. worse comes along. Right. Um, and it's so, yeah, they, you can do it. But then I was thinking, well, maybe also they want to link the quest for the fountain of youth to this creation myth because, you know, in a lot of it's in a lot of Native American storytelling and especially creation myths, waters are portals between words, worlds. Right. Um, and so it does seem like the in-universe reason for the Spanish coming this far north, rather than they obviously actually in our world came much further south, uh, is that there were rumors of this special lake and the legend of it reached Spanish ears. And so that's when they thought, well, this is, it is the fountain of youth because the people who fall within it don't age. But of course, it's never exactly Right. what you think it's going to be. Right. Um, so I'm, so I'm, I'm happy to accept it for that. And for those reasons, um, I, I really like that they made a huge effort. Uh, Disney has done this yeah, with prey with this, with echo working very closely with specific tribes to bring their specific mythology to life. It's so in this case, little and Andrews, this is quoting uh, Wikipedia here. Little and Andrews worked for four years with members of the Mohawk nation, such as historian Doug George, who provided insight into the history of the Aquinasasne uh, region, uh, which is uh, upstate New York today, and the Mohawk language expert uh, Cecilia King to create Kahori's look and world to ensure the cultural, cultural authenticity of the episode. So it's funny. So the... Mohawks are from the same region as my tribe. The Potawatomi originally were also Eastern woodlands, uh, although they were enemies. Um, and so I know some things about them. Like I knew when I saw this story, I was like, okay, I bet that their creation myth is, is similar. It's going to involve these water portals. Mm. Uh, and so that that's enough to be able to look it up. But then I don't know that much about the language. So I thought when listening to this, I was like, wow, Mohawk is a lot less monotone than Potawatomi language. But it turns out that they actually did that on purpose. They made it, they gave it more uh, inflection to make it sound more auditorially interesting, quote unquote. Huh. So, interesting. yeah. Um, and as far as the mustache, uh, mustache twirling conquistadors, uh, I think maybe Isabella got a little bit of an unfair shake because she apparently punished or wanted to punish Christopher Columbus for his slaving ways. And was so maybe she's not as bad as she was portrayed here. But I think from this story is told from the perspective of Kahori and her people and from her right. perspective, they are, <laughs> yeah, they are the bad guys. Sure. They, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it, this was one of my favorite episodes. Love the way they incorporated the myth. Love the vibes. Want to see more of this character? And I love Definitely. that they didn't. I love they didn't wimp out and do this episode in English. Yeah, That's yeah. yeah that, I thought that yeah. was interesting as well. Yeah, that was great. That was great. Yeah, and and, uh, and I like the fact that they're not monoculturizing uh, different right. Native American tribes. That they exactly. they did the work. Yes. to understand which particular story that they're they're telling. Yeah. 
And uh, Kahori was played by Devery Jacobs, who I still, the fact that I haven't watched Reservation Dogs yet is a big miss, I think. Um, but yeah, a lot of people want to see her as a live action Kahori, and I'm in full support of that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, David, were you saying you watch Reservation Dogs or is that, was that? John? I am in the, yeah, yeah my spouse yeah. and I are, are watching it now. Um, it was, I, I missed out on the running of it in real time and a lot of, it, it ended up a lot of uh, top 10 lists. And, and so we finished season one and have started season two. It's, it's really great. I, I would put it in the same category of shows as like Atlanta and the bear where there's doing a lot of interesting storytelling and um, uh, having fun with it, but also having a lot of real stuff that we human beings deal with and, okay. and uh, putting it out there in an interesting way. And yeah, it's, it's really good. It's really, yeah. really good. No, it's, it's near the top of my list of shows I have to remedy. Oh, they, they need, like, people are like, there's going to be a dearth of shows because of the strike. I'm like, there's good. <laughs> Give right. me time catch to up. catch up. Catch up. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm tracking all this stuff on the show checker. <laughs> there is this, not a dearth of shows. No. Sorry, right, right, right. We already got the screeners for Mr. Year, and right. Mrs. Smith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got the screeners. We got, yeah, True Detective. I mean, yeah, it's, <sighs> a lot's coming. Severance. Um, yeah. House of the Dragon. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, I, I love that, uh, the, just the way they incorporated and made it references to a lot of Native American ideas that were familiar to me, like to people coming from clay, uh, Kahori was uh, identified as wolf clan, which I'm jealous of. I'm crane clan. Um, and I love that just the general idea that they get their power via the land. So it comes from the Tesseracts. That's the Marvel right. twist, but it's a very yeah, core yeah. idea to Native yeah. American culture that they're picking up the power by living on and loving the land and its beings. And yeah. Yeah. Really um, good stuff. Really good stuff. And we've got another afterlife world to add to the Marvel mix. Speaking of which, so episode seven, what if Hella found the 10 rings directed by Brian a Andrews, right? Written by Matthew Chauncey. Uh, so the change is instead of banishing Hella to hell where she, when she won't stop conquesting, Odin instead strips her of her powers and banishes to earth like he did to Thor in the Thor movie. And she lands in medieval China. Odin destroys Mjolnir, um, just like she did uh, to Thor's Mjolnir. Mjolnir. And instead, he gives Hela's crown an enchantment and says, this crown may only be worn and its powers used by she who knows mercy. And he sends it to land on earth near her. In medieval China, Hela is confronted by the armies of Shu Wenwu, the bearer of the Ten Rings, nearly a millennium before he would fall in love and have a son named Shang-Chi. Hela attempts to retrieve her crown, but fails due, due to the lack of mercy thing. And Wenwu keeps Hela alive, trying to recruit her to his army and maybe his bed until she escapes after failing to steal his 10 rings. She's guarded. Uh, she's guided by a Hundun who looks a lot like Morris to the realm of Talo, where she convinces their leader, Jai Yi, to let her join their cause. Jai Yi teaches Hela martial arts after she recognizes her true desire not to conquest, is not to conquest, but uh, to get freedom from control. After Heimdall reports his failure to locate Hela back to Odin, Odin visits Earth to battle Wenwu in retaliation, and Hela joins Wenwu in fighting against Odin, ultimately winning but sparing her father, thus regaining her worthiness to wield her crown. 
Odin recognizes Hela's growth and passes Asgard's throne to her. Hela unites the armies of Asgard and Wenwu's Ten Rings uh, organization and embarks on a journey to ensure freedom across the nine realms and beyond, coming to the rescue of Gamora's people as Thanos attacks them. So we see baby Gamora is gets a different fate in this universe. Jean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, again, this is one of my favorite episodes between this and six. Um, I, I love the portrayal of Hela. Uh, I, I think her her arc to worthiness was done much better than Thor's. Personally, mm-hmm. <laughs> I really enjoyed her arc to to fighting her her worthiness um, was really was really great to see. Um, there are uh, a host of 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 you know tonal things that that just made sense to me with her character. Um, and I love that instead of, you know, locking her or, or putting her out of history that Odin actually, you know, sent her out, cast her out of Asgard, um, Mm -hmm. to figure this shit out. Uh, there's this moment at the end of, of the episode where Hela is transformed into white, right? Yeah. Um, and as the goddess of death, you know, she's always in, in black, you know, signifying, you know, what she does, who she is. Right. And now she's been transformed into this, this bringer of, of, of life, basically, because she's, you know, saving people instead of, you know, um, taking them to the underworld. Um, this calls back to a, a comic and, and I want to say 2014, 2015, a comic run for the ultimate that's written by Al Ewing, where basically the, the team of the Ultimates, uh, you know, uh, they transform Galactus. Galactus is the devourer of worlds, right? Mm-hmm. They transform Galactus into Galactus, the life bringer. And he becomes, instead of someone who feeds off worlds and, and kills them, he creates them. And that's how he derives his energy from. That called back to that comic. And I, I, I would, if it's not a callback to the comic, I'll, I'll be shocked. But mm-hmm. having her transformed in that way um, made me think of that comic. And that was one of the best comic book runs um, of, I would say, the last 10, 15 years um, written by Al Ewing. Uh, okay. was really, really, really cool for me to, to see. Um, I just really, I liked this episode a lot. I thought, again, the hella arc was hella done. It was great. Mm-hmm. And it was really um, cool to see this play out without Thor, without yeah. Loki, without any of these characters that we, you know, think of when we think of Asgard. Yeah. Yeah. I have questions though about, so Thor's not born yet in this, but obviously he was born by medieval times because the Norse were worshiping him before that. So I'm going with, it took hella, a hella long time to fall through space. <laughs> That's my explanation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, did, what did you think, David? Um, yeah, again, it wasn't one that grabbed me. So um, not, okay. not characters that I'm, I'm invested in and so yeah, not not much to say. 
Okay. I mean, yeah. So I thought it was one of the best of the season also. I know, I know a lot of people feel that way about this one. Um, I love the mashup of worlds, uh, believable character development, um, real psychology at work here. You know, just like in real psychology, they find that the carrot is more effective than the stick. So second chances work better than punishment, which, you know, we won't get into prison systems in the U.S., but um, I, I liked, you know, we have more of the underworld references coming together. My one question, though, is... Is Odin racist? Because he was perfectly happy to give the Tesseract to Norwegians, but the Chinese can't have the Ten Rings. And like, what happened to this whole mercy thing in the final battle? <laughs> yeah, Odin is a little racist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of racist times, what happened to the Avengers in 1602? Man, okay. What if Avengers <laughs> assembled in 1602? Directed by Brian Andrews, written by A.C. Bradley and Ryan Little. The change. Captain Carter is pulled through a portal to a universe where the Avengers live through the Renaissance. After arriving at Renaissance-themed universe, Captain Carter agrees to help Wanda Merlin and Sir Nicholas Fury stop an impending incursion. She saves, she saves Prince Loki from being pulled into a tear, but fails to save Queen Hela, so is hunted by Sir Harold the Happy Hogan under the new king Thor's orders. Carter learns the incursion is occurring due to the presence of the Forerunner, another time-displaced individual, and locates Tony Stark, who can make a device to identify the Forerunner using the Time Stone and Thor's scepter. He points her towards outlaws, Steve Rogers, Bucky Barnes, and Scott Lang, to help steal it. Carter finds the group, but they are ambushed by Hogan. Carter gives herself up before freeing herself and a masked Bruce Banner. They meet with Stark and join Roger's group in infiltrating Thor's court. With Wanda's help, the group retrieves the Time Stone for Stark's device, which identifies Rogers as the forerunner who had inadvertently created the temporal anomaly while battling Thanos. Carter fit bids farewell to Rogers and returns him to his universe, preventing the incursion before she is met by Supreme Strange. Yeah, so like I said, this was my favorite episode of the season, but I love this era of history. In, and I have to ad admit, you know, there's more fudging of history here than all the rest all of the, the episodes others. combined. Because yeah, we've got like Robin Hood's a few a uh, few centuries too late. We've got the man in the iron mask and like the wrong, I'm not even sure what continent they're on, to be honest. Yeah, it, it, um, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it, it's funny because it's, it is based on the Neil Gaiman comic, but that comic is really rooted in history. So there, the it's about the death of Queen Elizabeth, and then uh, King James takes over, who is the person who, you know, by inheriting the throne, he uh, united uh, Scotland and England. Uh, but in the comic, he hates what they call the witch breed, which are like the mutants and the magical people. And so that's the... That's the source of all this. But then you do also find, spoiler alert for the comics, there's a Native American character who's suspiciously white, and it turns out that he's Steve Rogers, displaced in time, sent back. And uh, so it is basically the same story, but this is playing a lot looser with history, mostly different characters. Wanda's kind of a villain in the comic book version, and here she's definitely more on the hero side, uh, which I didn't mind at all. Um but despite all that, yeah, I, I loved it. I loved the fun and the vibes. So who would you think, Sean? It was cool. I, I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was lighthearted. I thought it was, um, I didn't feel like the stakes were incredibly high, even though they were dealing with the incursion. Just didn't feel, you know, like world ending to me for some whatever reason. It felt a lot more uh, about 
the the characters on the ground than this overarching like oh the fate of the world is at is at hand here. I thought it I I, I like seeing the, these characters played in a different way. Again, Happy Hogan wasn't very happy in this, but he was great. I thought his his villain. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if we could call him a villain, but. Still, his his portrayal was really cool in this. I, I thought his story was 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 fun. I thought he brought for me a lot of levity to to the the story overall when he showed up, twirling his mustache and you know really being uh, a different version of what we know. Um, yeah, I think it it wasn't my favorite episode, but mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I love that Tom Hiddleston got to do some Shakespeare. Um, and Hamlet's obviously an appropriate one for Loki. Uh, we talked a lot about that play in our Beacon 23 breakdowns because that's um, it's relevant to that TV show on Wolfship Dust. And I love that um, the reference to the incursions, Peggy talks about needing to unstick the world. So we're finally getting more acknowledgement of the incursion situation. Right. Um, and now that Peggy and the watcher are apparently just like best friends chatting throughout the episode. Yeah. We'll see where, where it takes us to people who want things to be connected. Well, here you go. Okay, so then we get to the finale, which picks up right where this left off. This one's directed by Brian Andrews, written by Matthew Chauncey. And uh, Strange Supreme, he takes Captain Carter to his Sanctum Infinitum, where he reveals that he has been capturing universe killers to atone for his sins and asks for her help in capturing an escaped variant who fled to a universe where Hydra used the Tesseract to destroy the world. Carter agrees and encounters Kahori, who reveals that Strange has been capturing variants to feed to the Forge, a magical machine he built to resurrect his lost universe. As Strange attempts to kill Kahori, Carter frees his captives, allowing her and Kahori to escape. Amidst the chaos, the pair encounter Black Panther Killmonger, who Kahori just sends away uh, and takes his armor for Captain Carter to wear. And while the pair battle Strange at the forge, the variants who are falling into the forge start throwing their weapons to Carter. Um, I like the Mjolnir and uh, Hela's crown and, yeah, just uh, all, all, the shield. Odin's all of spear. The, yeah, the spear, yeah. <clears throat> and... Um, strange, he's taken over by his demonic self. And though Carter separates, uh, separates them as the forge collapses, strange is aware enough to sacrifice himself and his uh, demonic counterpart into it. And the watcher returns Kahori home, bringing Carter to strange's restored universe to show her that strange succeeded in resurrecting Christine Palmer. Finally, though he can never be reborn into this world. Carter asks the Watcher to show her the multiverse before taking her home, and they visit Loki's uh, Yggdrasil Tree of Life. Fan. <laughs> yes, and I thought that was a, a great final shot. Just, just yeah. really awesome. You know, you you see the the connecting to Loki, and just really, really great. That that was so. Yeah, I can't say enough about how I enjoyed that last shot. Like that's my screensaver. It's yeah. really. It's really, really well done. Um, the part that I liked about this was strange. Uh, not being in control because he, it wasn't strange, I feel. I feel it was all the, the entities that he, you know, it right. took in. Right. 
that were mm-hmm. actually in control of what he was doing. Um, so the idea that he could control all of these evil demonic forces, these magical creatures that he, you know, took in into his very soul in order to become this all powerful person um, and that he can control it forever. That never felt right to me. And to see him lose control and for those entities to come out and say, nah, 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 we're running this shit. That was really um, great for me. I thought that was really well done. Um, yeah, I, I, strange to me was, was the best part of this episode. Hmm. Um, I, for me, I, I didn't love this episode as much as the last season finale or as much as the, uh, episode four, uh, you know, when strange Supreme was born episode, it didn't have, it was a little bit messier and didn't have the same like emotional nuance as those episodes, but I did. I did quite like it. And one of the things I love most is that they took the two characters that like the quote unquote Marvel bros are most likely to complain about this season and mm-hmm. they just doubled down on it. Double <laughs> like down actually, on it. Yep. these are the two women. Yes. Women who are, who are saving everything. the day. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I actually, they got me with a twist that it was Kohori who was sending them after because I had already heard that zombie Wanda was going to show up in this episode. So I thought that that's who she was going to find in the forest. And of course we see oh, zombie Wanda okay. briefly later. Right. So right. The, yeah, they, that twist worked for me. Uh, I loved the wall of universe killers. It was just like Easter egg wall. I definitely yeah, that was to go cool. through them all. That was cool to watch. That was but cool I want to see Evil Rocket and Cowboy Loki. <laughs> <laughs> Cowboy um, Loki. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, yeah, I'm glad we got the Loki and Watcher relationship kind of answered or at least addressed. Um, and Is it though? I mean, we saw, I, yeah, they're kind of on the same playing field in a way, although Watcher gets mm. to walk around and Loki has to sit in his chair. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah. You know, we're not going to nerd <laughs> off right now, but I don't know about that. <laughs> to be continued. But, yeah. um, I, I and I like they seem to be differentiating heroes like the caps, you know, the always do right types and the strangers yeah. and wandas yeah. who might end up hurting people to get what they want, which to be honest, those are kind of the more interesting characters to me. Absolutely. But, uh, Absolutely. Is it, yeah. And I hope I hope this is the beginning of more Kahorti. That's yeah. Yeah, that goes without thought. saying. That goes without mm-hmm. saying. Um definitely a, a watch for folks out there um who are on defense about this this um series. So episode nine, definitely it's a watch. Yeah. If just to get to the end shot. <laughs> if if only that. If only yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, if you just want this story five through nine, but it's worth, yeah. Don't yeah. skip one and don't skip the rest. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, good job, guys. That was a, a lot to cover. Uh, a that lot was. Of great content. That was. I'm going to have to definitely go check nine because, yeah, I forgot about the fact that Strange shows up at the end with Kohori and says, I've been looking for you. So I got to. I got to put that on my, my list to, to catch up on. Yeah. So are they going for a season three? Is that been yes. confirmed? Yes. It's yes, being made are. now. Yeah. Oh, and wow. They, okay. And they already released a new scene because this, uh, it was from an episode that was going to be this season, but is being pushed to next season. Okay. So we, there's a scene out there of, you see like, I probably somewhere in the seventies or something, red guardian and Bucky on the road in like route 56 style on a road trip. And they're stopped by, it seems like it's bill foster, Lawrence Fishburne's character. Um, and a new character, Ranger Morales played by America Ferrera. So yeah, we've got that. And at least eight other episodes coming 
at some point, dot, dot, dot. Hopefully we'll also get that if Wanda grew up watching musicals episode. Well, maybe if they're using this game engine, as you said, for the animation in terms of writing and on that side, it's, it's not, well, going to animation, I guess is what I'm trying to say is not that hard as it would be with other styles of animation. So maybe fingers crossed we see this next year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think next year is realistic because they've already, um, I, they've, because it was already greenlit and they've already been working on it. They, you know, they've had some time to do that. Uh, Yeah. It's yeah. just nice when, I mean, I don't mean to be, you know, complaining about all, all this stuff, but it is nice when seasons aren't two or three years out from the previous season. Yeah. yeah. That's, when there's a little yeah. bit of uh, regularity. That's been a terrible yeah. trend of recent years. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> tough. Yeah. Yeah. And Especially if you have big names uh, attached to a project. Attached yeah. To a project. And, and the backlog with VFX yeah. artists and animators. Exactly. And, yeah. You have to treat think, these um, acknowledge the work. And, I think AC Bradley is not coming back for a season. No. Okay. No. Yeah, I think she she's out for season. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, that could. I mean, it could be interesting to have new voices. Hopefully, yeah. we'll have some of the others for continuity. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll look forward to uh, season three. So let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, let's get into our preview for Echo. And we're back. Okay, let's talk about the uh, upcoming show on Disney Plus. Five episodes all to drop at once. Echo. And it looks like they're talking December 9th, possibly 10th. They're playing one of those uh, silly games with uh, with the actual release. January, January, January. January, yeah. Did I say December? Oh, sorry. January. Why does it say New Year? New Year. New Year. Hello. 2024. 2024. January. Bring in a 23. (laughs) That's right. Be here on the mic now, not a Google Doc. There we go. (laughs) So. Yeah, I'm guessing that means like the evening uh of the 9th for the US, which means for most of the world, the 10th. Yeah. So the. Second trailer dropped. Alicia, you posted that. And then you also posted a um, video that they put up uh, talking about the background for Echo and um, how they're working with uh, Native American tribes on, on, or a tribe, the, Choctaw. Um, the yeah. Choctaw tribe on this one specifically. And after watching that second trailer, I was running around the house. I was like screaming. I was like, oh my God, this looks so good. <laughs> and I had to check myself because I think the last time I got really excited by a trailer, uh, we had a dumpster fire. Uh, so, this is not that. This is not that. I am still hyped for this show. I'm really excited. So let's talk about who Echo is, the character, and, and what it is that we need to know going into this uh, season. So uh, let's, let's who's, who's leading us off on this? Uh, yeah, Jean. So okay. because Daredevil will appear in the series, but only yes, very occasionally. Right, so. People don't get, get like don't you know. Out I don't want people to think show. it's going to be the Daredevil show. Yeah, right, he's exactly. he's got one coming, exactly. um, but he'll probably be around like the beginning and the end. So, and we also we got in the trailer we got clips of Fisk from the Daredevil Netflix show. Um, so does that make the show canon? I don't know. Yes, so yes, Jean was going to walk us through. It is definitely canon. It's canon. Um, so what happened, Joe? So Echo, we we met in Hawkeye um, Christmas special last year, 
um, in 2022, not 23. Uh, she is the adoptive daughter of Wilson Fisk, the kingpin. Um, she becomes his enemy because she finds out that he had her father killed. That's pretty yeah. much the motivation for this, for this new. <laughs> that's it. That's right? the motivation for the for the for the series. You you raised me. You you told me that you were close and loving with my father. You call me your niece. We're family, and I find out that you were the one who orchestrated the murder of my father. That's the state. That's where we're at with this. Um, Series. And what do we need to know about Fisk? Because it sounds like he's going to be a pretty important part of yeah. uh, the, the storyline here. So a short recap. Fisk, Wilson Fisk is from the Netflix Daredevil universe. This is still that person. He's that character. Um, in the Netflix series, Fisk was the main villain uh, for much of the series. Um, one of the biggest crime bosses in New York City. He ruled Hell's Kitchen, um, putting him into conflict with Matt Murdock, Daredevil. Fisk is portrayed as brutal, cunning, murderous. He's um, evil, head able, <laughs> head bashing, exactly. He's even able to um, trick Frank Castle, the Punisher, to go against Daredevil. We also see that he is someone who was plagued by the demons of his childhood, a childhood where we saw him actually kill his father with a hammer after watching his father physically assault him. But then we also see him as a loving and caring person, especially when it comes to Vanessa, um, Mariana, the woman that he falls in love with. Um, Daredevil is finally able to defeat him. Um, Fist threatens to reveal his secret identity if Daredevil doesn't kill him. Um, and Daredevil says, um, if you don't do what I want you to do, then I'm going to let the authorities know that Vanessa um, played a role in a murder that happened during the season. He says silent and gets arrested. All to probably protect Vanessa. Um, then we see him again. He shows up in Hawkeye. So Fisk is out of prison. He has rebuilt his criminal empire during the blip. He didn't get blipped, obviously. <laughs> um, so he's here in all his kingpin glory. He's commanding, he's in charge, and he's manipulating everything and everyone around New York City. Um, he seems to have put his past behind him of being a little, you know, uh, unsure of himself at times. This is making him really formidable, really dangerous. Um, Eleanor Bishop is Kate Bishop's mother who becomes Hawkeye in the series, um, is working for him because of a debt that's owed by her husband and Kate's deceased father. Um, he attempts to kill Eleanor when she reneges on their deal, which leads Kate to becoming um, Hawkeye by donning the mask and taking out her bow and arrows to try to um, take down the kingpin with help from Clint Barton. We, this is where we also meet Maya Lopez, Echo, who is um, Fisk's niece, as her father was a trusted employee of the Kingpin who got murdered. We find out, along with Maya, that it was Fisk who had her father killed. She swears vengeance, which leads us to the new Disney Plus series, Echo. And she shoots him in the eye. Oh, yes, that's <laughs> right. I forgot about that. <laughs> So in the comics, Echo is a mutant. Um, she's part of the X-Men, New, Mut New Mutants, X-Men um, higher uh, stories. Uh, she is Native um, American. Uh, but vaguely. In the, in the comics, vaguely. 
Yes. Yeah. They give um, her two tribes, but no, like, yeah. No, really, no grounding. Um, She's history. like Cheyenne and anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Um, in this series, she's Choctaw, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. so they fully lean into her being um, Native um, American with everything that, you know, we fully expect to see. The care yeah. that was taken in Kahari, we expect to see that in this series. Yeah, it so, seems like even more so. It, yeah. And also the same with her deaf identity because she's also deaf. And so yes, the idea yes. that they, they did a lot that. of the camera work around uh, that as well to make sure that, you know, the uh, the sign language gets worked in. Um, and I know like in the comics, her powers are kind of more Taskmaster-esque. Yes, know, they are. She, she sorry, can copy anything. doing things in the background. <laughs> Lurk and alert. Yeah. She's... Um, so yeah, she's copying everything, anything. And in this case, I know they've changed it that she is getting specific powers from specific ancestors. And yes. as the different powers activate, she'll have like different tattoos will form on her face. Interesting. So it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. I know it's, I'm excited because it's like Netflix reborn. We've got like this gritty realism going on. Um, yeah, I th- I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. David, you are as well. Yeah. You like yeah, the 100%, groundedness. 100%. Hundred percent hyped for this. I I like the actor. I like the Fisk character. I don't know much about the yeah. You know, I mean, what we know about Echo is what we know about Echo. Um, and I'm excited to see them try a different style and a different tone of of storytelling, and then add in that my appreciation for the fact that they're doing the work to um, ground the production storytelling in the things that are important to respect and a- acknowledge uh, people. I think I, I strayed into some YouTube territory and this one has oh got boy. the Marvel bros uh, all uh, up oh in their shit. Oh and I'm, I'm here oh for that. Boy. I was like, oh I'm like, oh, go, go ahead. You know, oh popcorn boy. in the microwave. Oh, <laughs> man. Oh, man. <laughs> so I'm excited to see a different kind of storytelling. I'm excited to see a, a, a wider perspective on the universe. I'm excited to see, um, the way that we tell storytelling, the way that they actually tell the story, um, they're innovating around that. And so uh, just get the whole thing. Uh, I am 100% super uh, enthusiastic to see where they where they take us with this one. And I, I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping, hoping, hoping it's going to be as exciting as the trailers are making me feel. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And and again, um, because it's the fist taken from Daredevil universe, right? Yeah, and it's the same character. Yeah, this Mm -hmm. is giving me hope. It's giving me hope that we get to see Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Mm. um, come Mm -hmm. to the MCU proper at some point. Um, Maybe even in the Daredevil series. I don't know. Yeah, just you know, give me something. Karen and Foggy. (laughs) Yeah, bring Karen and Foggy back. But just if you were a fan of those shows, um, Mm -hmm. this gives you hope that you get to see some of these characters, even if they're portrayed yeah. by new, by new um, actors, no. but you get to see these characters. <laughs> no, I'm, you know, this, I've so got far, we're two, we've got the two biggest characters from Daredevil back and they're the same actors. So I can, I can see them recasting Luke. Quite honestly, I can't see really? them recasting Jessica at this point. 
Yeah, no, they're not going to recast Jessica. But I, I think that they there was thoughts about maybe recasting Luke because of the whole like they're like, oh, we don't want to do the Iron Fist the way it was, and you know those we should two, do that too. We'll see. We'll the, see. Those two we'll are see. so tied together, but. I mean, minor spoiler alerts, uh, Iron Fist ends in a very satisfying way for people who don't want the white savior thing. They fix that at the end of the series. So they can pick right up where they left That's that true. off. And that That's would true. make a lot of people happy. Cool. We'll yeah. see. Fingers crossed. So what's our, our coverage plans? This is a five episode drop. Yeah, um, they all drop at once. Yeah. 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 And I think it's coming on Hulu, actually, not Disney. I don't know. The, both. the merging is starting both. to happen. I think okay. it's both. I th- yeah. I think they're doing both. Yeah. I'm getting this a lot is, of Hulu push. So. Yeah. Because it is a gritty rated R series. And I think they're testing because they're going to, I mean, they're, it's, yeah, it's going to be a tile service over here outside the US. Um, In fact, I don't think it's going to be a tile. I think because when I'm looking at some of the deals, I was looking at uh, sub- subscription <laughs> renewals, they're really leaning forward forward with Hulu and Hulu live and then Disney is an add on. Uh, and so it's, it's hmm. interesting what they're going to do, but yeah, I think they're going to keep it. So, okay. Here uh, it's a tile called stars. Right. Right. <laughs> so we're scheduled for what I think for the 13th next, mm-hmm. next Saturday is our, uh, we're going to record. So we've got a binge, all five shows in a couple of days to try to get record uh, recording out on uh, recording done on the weekend and then get a podcast into your feeds around like the 15th or 16th of January. Yeah. It's on, it's on, it's on Disney plus. I just pulled it up. Yeah. On my okay. All right. So Fair it's enough. On Disney. Cause I saw something where they were saying, set your Hulu filter to mature. Okay. You know, like turning the, yeah. the mature content uh, thing on fill it on Hulu. So I, I think they're going both directions to yeah. probably AB test it a little bit. So, okay. so yeah, we're going to do that. And uh, I think we're excited for it. So yes, we are, yes, we are. Um, given the length of time and uh, the realities of life, I'm just going to speed us through our, our quick outro Alicia, do you have anything immediately coming on Wool Shift Dust? I know you've got um, other Next plans. up is uh, the the wrap-up for Beacon 23 Season 1. Uh, cool. And Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. And uh, then we're jumping into Dune, and uh, and Shift is uh, the next Shift and Dust are the next books in the Silent Book Club. Okay. I can't wait awesome. to hear the Beacon 23 stuff. Yeah. I got, I got, I got questions. Uh, it's, uh, we've recorded. We recorded the wrap up. I just uh, I lost uh, about a week or so of editing time due to hearing problems. So get okay. back on that. All right. Now. All right. Yeah. All right. So properly, Howard movie review. They're on a little break. Anthony's a, a bit busy with some stuff, uh, but um, the uh, he's still doing uh, this auction, this fantasy draft auction thing, or no fantasy draft for House of the Dragon on his Bukaloo uh, channel. Even though I think he's a little bit of a pause there because of of. Um, work-related stuff. Uh, However, as soon as we get a date for severance, we are going to be covering uh, that week-to-week, episode-to-episode with Steve and Anthony from Properly Howard Movie Review. So go find that feed. There's a link in the show notes or just search Severance Lorehounds and you should be able to find it. For the Lorehounds main, we are going to be covering True Detective Night Country, which Mm. is the fourth season of this show, even though it is an anthology series. You don't need to have watched one through three to appreciate this. I have already seen episode one. We got access to screeners. I'm not going to say anything. I can't say anything except watch the show when it comes out because it's good. Uh, I'm, I have watched, I did a rewatch of season one recently. I binged 
what is that? How many episodes is it? Eight or nine episodes in like a three day period. So <laughs> it kind of like broke my brain a little bit, but it's so good that series. And so I'll be watching for any tie-ins that cross the series, but otherwise you should be able to watch season four uh, all by yourself. Um, and that should be good. Otherwise we've got, uh, on the Star Wars Film Fest, we're going to come up on Rogue One. That's going to be exciting. Uh, we just published a Silmarillion story. Earthsea Book Nook will be back in February. And then we're going to be tracking some different shows in the future. We're looking at Masters of the Air. We're looking at Mr. and Mrs. Smith. We're looking at um, Constellation. That's an Apple TV show. So we've got a number of things that we're keeping our, our eyes on. So stay tuned. Apple keeps coming with the sci-fi stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yep. That one is going to be interesting. That is with uh, Jonathan Banks and uh, Numi Rapace, who was in The Girl right. with the Drag Tattoo. Uh, and it seems like a mystery box sort of I maybe push it in the direction of Silo uh, in, some, in some regards. Uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber, check the show tracker, and you can find information about that show quite easily. Otherwise, to our lore master patrons who go to support all of our operations and help us take care of all of our co-hosts as well, Samartian, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., SC, Peter O. H., Bettina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Doove 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H., Sarah L., Gareth C., Eric F., Matthew M., Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwong Yu, Deadeye Jedi Bob, Nathan T, Alex V, Aaron T, Sub-Zero, Aaron K, Dawn V, and last but never least, Adrian. Thank you all so very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We are going to jump and uh, we'll see you on Echo in about a week. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you, Sean. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I was going to a little late, but I won't do that to people. Okay. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. 